try that again. Welcome into Hoopsville, everybody. How are you? If you're watching the video, I was lip syncing there for a little while to music that did not have any lyrics. I'm your host, Dave McHugh. Welcome in as we welcome you to a Monday, the end of January the 30th here as we pivot and start looking at the final month of the Division Three regular season in four months' time from tonight. Four months from tonight. We will be talking about who's in and who didn't make the NCAA tournament, what the brackets look like, and what the roads to both Trinity, Connecticut, and Dallas on the women's side and Fort Wayne on the men's side will officially look like. Who will make it, who won't, etc. That's just four weeks away. We have three weeks left, for the most part, of regular season games before conference tournaments start up. There will be a, a few, like the CUNYAC and the NESCAC will start a tad sooner than that. If you've got questions for us, you can tweet us at D3Hoops or hashtag Hoopsville. You can email us, hoopsville at d3sports.com. Then we're warning you now, we're having trouble replying to emails today. Kind of one of the reasons we had a little bit of trouble um, with today's show. Um, you can also join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville. You can join us on YouTube at youtube.com slash D3Hoopsville, where we're live simulcasting the show. Of course, want to thank our partners at Huddle Blue Frame Technology for their assistance. Uh, we have not gotten our, we got a new logo suite. We have not gotten it fully integrated. I apologize to Mark and his colleagues. We will get it fully integrated uh, by Thursday's show for sure. But great to have Huddle fully on board. Uh, they were somewhat on board to start this season. Um, they're at least supporting us in terms of streaming and all that. We're hoping for a bigger partnership as we move forward. But thanks to uh, Mark Krug and his crew for all their assistance. Um, lots to talk about because there's been chaos in Division Three just on the hard court alone. Uh, I got a little bit out of pocket. Well, I shouldn't say a little bit. Quite a bit out of pocket on Friday and Saturday due to uh, a project for my son's robotics Um group at his school that I thought would take so much effort and it took so much more effort and mind power. So I was watching a little more peripherally than I expected, but that said, uh, pretty darn impressive to see, um, just, just the amount of teams that are competitive and, and listen, there are a lot of losses that we see as top 25 voters. It's not because teams are bad. It's because so many teams are good. And so that's fun to watch. That's fun to see play out. Um, and it makes it tough for voting. I'll, I'll freely admit, today was no walk in the park. I could have dedicated a lot more hours to it. Not sure I would have gotten any different answers. Maybe I would have gotten very different answers. I'm not sure. Um, but that's what's the fun of it. And even even happening on the women's side. But before we dive into that, we will in a moment. Let's just talk about today's show. It's a little bit different. Not as many segments with coaches. Uh, it's also not how we hoped to have today's show. We'll talk about that in a bit. But for the most part, we will start off with uh, Mark Morefield, the former now head coach of Mary Harden Baylor. He will join us in about 10 or so minutes to talk about his um, firing why he was let go by Mary Harden Baylor, what what was going on there. Um, we will also talk about um, what led up to that. Uh, you've seen the video. We'll, we'll have the video again. Um, we got the video on Thursday shortly before we hit the air, so I really didn't get a chance to see it. But nothing I heard in it initially was different than what Mark had shared with me. 
Um, but I now had time to see it more. So we'll talk with Mark. We'll have a conversation with him. I was going to say it's an exclusive interview, but it turns out Mark did another media opportunity over the weekend. So we are no longer calling it an exclusive in our book. Um, what else? Sorry, I was just looking over and realized I have um, some info I could throw out. Um, then we're going to pivot. We were hoping to put a nice panel together of uh, either former administrators, current administrators, current coach, even some consultants in the coaching world to kind of talk about the larger thing. The, the, there's the Albion Benedictine situation. There's the Concordia Chicago situation and now the Mary Harden Baylor that have all evolved not only in the last month or month plus, but in the last year. And so we were going to put this panel together and have a conversation. Well, we could only get the coach. Um, there were a lot of great conversations I had with individuals that couldn't make it on the show. A lot of conversations with people who would like to be on the show, but for good reasons could not be, whether it was personal or professional or whatever. We can certainly talk about that a little bit more later. Um, and the consultant one just fell through. So this is not a conversation that will end tonight. It'll only start tonight. So those individuals and those conversations will continue. Um, but Mike Raniak will join us. He's a former coach at New Paltz, former coach at Vassar, assistant coach, I should say, former assistant coach under Dave Hickson. He's the current manager slash coach of the WeD3 TBT team. Um Mike and I had a great conversation. I figured let's let's bring that to air. So we will talk about that. And and we're going to talk about not only should you or should you not use certain language, but how to approach how student athletes are approached now and the changes that have that have evolved over time. But more importantly, how coaches can better themselves and prepare themselves and be aware. And some conversations I took some notes from some conversations of individuals I talked to. So we'll expand that topic. Then we'll pivot and Ryan Scott and Bob Quillman come in. Some on Twitter calling them the old the OGs uh, will come in. We'll talk about the craziness that was the top 25. I originally was going to wait and have the top 25 crew come on, on Thursday. So we didn't kind of double down this week on the topic. But so much took place in the past week. I knew that was impossible. So we'll get Ryan and Bob on the show here uh, tonight. Um, and then Thursday is the marathon. We are working hard, despite email snafus and problems, to get our guests booked. I would say we've probably got about two-thirds of them booked so far. I've got a few more I need to reach out to, a few more I need to see if they've gotten our email. Some that we've confirmed, for example, Luis McCleary, the vice president of Division Three, will be joining us to, uh, for what is pretty much the annual State of Division Three conversation that we have on the marathon. Um, we've also had a handful of coaches lined up. We'll talk with them. So, uh, a couple of former student athletes in Division Three. we hope to chat with as well. So it's looking like it's going to be a good show to celebrate Division Three, and we look forward to having you with us. That will start at noon on Thursday, and we will go at least eight hours with interview segments and conversations, and then we'll open it up to our happy hour, and we've already got uh, individuals interested in joining us there. So looking forward to having that. On Thursday, if you missed last Thursday's show, there was a significant announcement that we'll repeat. Hoopsville is your exclusive home for the men's and women's top 16s announcement. If you're not familiar with what that is, top 16s are what the men's and women's committee will release after the second week's regional rankings to indicate who are in the best positions now to be a uh, host if, if everything were equal host the NCAA tournament at least the first weekend, and certainly you'll get a sense of who's in good shape to host a second. 
understanding that a lot of things change, results can change, positioning can change, but it gives a lot, a lot of people kind of a sense of what's going on. They were announced on NCAA.com last year, and we had the reactions here on Hoopsville last season. This year it's coming to Hoopsville. We're going to do the whole enchilada. That is February 16th, 7 o'clock Eastern, right here on Hoopsville. We're looking forward to that. I want to thank, once again, Sarah Quadraki and Megan Wilson for not only coming on the show and chatting with us about that, but to entrust us with that programming. Uh, it is certainly um, nice of them, and we uh, are honored by that, and we hope you'll enjoy our exclusive coverage of that um, as we do it on the 16th. A couple of show programming notes. Again, Thursday, this coming Thursday, we'll be on the air at noon. Uh, the 9th, the following week, we'll be back on the air at 1 o'clock. That's a Thursday show. I forgot there was one more basketball Thursday for me, so that Thursday the 9th will be a 1 o'clock show as well. Uh, and then the only other show in question, other um, than that, that looks, we're not sure, but right now is still scheduled for a seven o'clock start. Will be February twentieth, and then a reminder on Selection Sunday will be on the air, somewhere between five and six o'clock. We'll work on those details when we get closer, and then we'll do a bracket show um, four weeks from tonight, right here in the Hoopsville Studios. I say this very seriously. If you want to sponsor, advertise, partner, invest, whatever. Any of our big shows or between now and the rest of the season, please contact us. And we would be happy to talk all about all of that. There have been several who've contacted us and not come through. And then there's some like Huddle where we've finally been able to get our ducks in a row. So please uh, contact us. We'll look forward to having you as a partner. Maybe you just want to be part of one of those big shows. That's fine as well. We'll take however it is. Back to the craziness that was. We'll quickly recap some of this, but we'll talk certainly more extensively Later in the show about all of it. On the men's side, quite a few losses on the Division Three side of things. Uh, in the top 25, there were, what, nine? Mount Union lost to John Carroll, something we talked about last week. Of course, Wheaton losing to North Park. Johns Hopkins beat Swarthmore. Of course, that was 12 v. 8. That was a big win for the... Um, for the Blue Jays winning at home against Swarthmore, something they had struggled to do in the regular season but seemed to be able to do in the postseason. Williams lost big to tough, 71-50. We'll talk to Ryan Scott about that. He was at that game coming up. Oh, I'm sorry, he wasn't at that game, but he got to see Tufts as Tufts and Bates took on Middlebury. He saw Middlebury. Rochester lost to Wash U but then beat Chicago. By the way, Emory beat Chicago but lost to Wash U. Yeah, it's the same thing. They both lost to Wash U. They both beat Chicago. They both beat Chicago in overtime. Guilford lost to Hamden Sydney. Big uh, result there. Uh, Lacrosse lost to Whitewater. That's their fifth loss of the season. Nazareth on Tuesday. We talked about that, losing to St. John Fisher. In the receiving votes category, Worcester lost to Oberlin. That ended a 60-game losing streak by Oberlin. RPI lost to Union and Ithaca this week to take up their fifth and sixth loss. East Texas Baptist now has five losses thanks to losses to Mary Harden, Baylor, and Concordia. Illinois College took its first loss to Cornell. We talked about that on Thursday's show. Uh, Roanoke also lost to Hamden Sydney, who had a really good week. Uh, Carnegie Mellon lost to NYU but beat Brandeis. Wesleyan lost to Amherst and Hamilton. And Redlands lost to Cal Lutheran. On the women's side, there were also quite a few losses. Chicago lost to Rochester. Babson lost twice to Trinity and then to Springfield. Baldwin-Wallace lost to Marietta. Trine lost to Hope. Eau Claire lost to River Falls. Rochester lost to Wash U before defeating Chicago. Just crazy weekend in the UAA in men's and women's basketball. Puget Sound lost to Whitman before beating Whitworth handily. 
Mary Harden Baylor lost to East Texas Baptist in their first game without Mark um, Moorefield and then beat Letourneau handily. And then Washington Jefferson took their second loss of the season, losing to St. Vincent. In the receiving category, Emory women did not fare as well as the men. They lost to Chicago and WashU. Tufts lost to Smith earlier in the week before avenging those against Williams and Middlebury. And Springfield lost to MIT before beating Babson, the number nine team in the country. So lots, lots of chaos, as we literally called it. Uh, in Division Three, absolutely craziness, and it's fun to watch. It's not bad because there are so many good teams. There are just so many good teams. We'll talk more about that with Ryan Scott and Bob Quillman later in the program. So there you go. It's a little bit of a different show, a little bit of a different feel to it. We're just going to have the one long conversation with Mark Moorfield. We'll then have a conversation with Mike Raniak, Maybe someone comes along here at the last minute and joins us uh, to be part of that. Uh, we'll see. Maybe some calls will finally come th- to fruition, as it were. Um, and then, as I mentioned, we'll have Bob Quillman and Ryan Scott on the show. But again, Thursday, we're going to go all in. We're going to have at least nine hours of coverage, talk to maybe about 20-some-odd guests not talking about the happy hour, um, and certainly some other things. So, um Please join us then. We would love to have you. Uh, that'll start at noon. It has been a traditionally a advertise or a uh, fundraising show until last year's show was the first one we did not. If we can get our ducks in a row and everything works out, we hopefully will have some type of platform to set up again for that. Real challenge with that for do- those who like to donate to our cause is the simple fact that a lot of programs out there take a good percentage off the top. So I'm looking into some more simpler things like either Venmo or PayPal or something like that. And we'll set something up at least to work our way towards that because we know a number of you have asked about how you can help um, with our programming. And I'll be honest, a little bit of help goes a really long way. We'll talk more about that on Hoopsville. But uh, by the way, look for some more changes in the next show or two as we continue to evolve the show here and the studio. We made some changes already in the studio, and we hope you notice them and enjoy them. And with that, we'll take a break. When we come back, Mark Moorefield will join us to talk about his firing and everything that took place at Mary Harden Baylor so we can get a little bit better context from his perspective while at the same time ask him some questions about how we, we, it all came to this. Listen to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. I want to thank our par- partners at Hello Blue Frame Technology and, of course, the Women's Basketball Coaches Association, National Association of Basketball Coaches, and, of course, um, d3hoops.com as well. Back with more after this. are your teams, your players, your community of fans. This is where they play, where they practice, where you cheer at every meet, every event, every game. Your community is passionate, dedicated, supportive. You know the tension of a close game and the thrill of the win. So while you're cheering, keep an eye out for anything out of the ordinary. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. 
It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no-look pass. And cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success. And prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're at D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight. That's what you've earned here tonight. This is your time. Now go out there and take it. to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. There are over 480,000 college athletes. Only 2% would go pro. That means over 470,000 will not get a shoe contract. No autographs. No private jets. No fan clubs. No Hall of Fame inductions. Instead, they will walk away with something much more valuable. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. 
nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. And welcome back to Hoops. Hello, everybody. Sorry for the long break there. Lining things up with Mark Moorfield. He'll be joining us here momentarily. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hoopsville. You can also join us on Twitter, twitter.com slash D3Hoopsville. We're live simulcasting the show as well. You can join us there at... Um, Sorry, brain furry. <laughs> Live simulcasting on Facebook at facebook.com slash hoopsville and on YouTube at youtube.com slash d3hoopsville. We'll try to monitor the chat rooms there if we can. Uh, of course, you can email us hoopsville at d3sports.com as well. We'll continue to monitor the email on that. All right, so the Mark Morefield situation broke last week. We tried to do, uh, have, we actually tried to have Mark on the show Thursday. It fell through. Uh, and the video of the situation, which I had been t- given plenty of information about, um, really it kind of dropped on social media shortly before we went on the air with what was a one o'clock show that day. We tried to play that video and audio for you that day. It was unable to be heard very well because we, again, we were kind of moving last minute to get it all taken care of uh, and broadcast and it didn't work very well. And um, anyway, my, my point being is we now have things a little more buttoned up. Mark will be here in a moment, but I wanted to play at least the video in question. This dates back to November 10th, it, it, by the way. That is just a couple days after the season officially started, but I believe for Mary Hart and Baylor, they were still uh, in preseason. They had not started their season. Their men's team, for example, was on the West Coast playing a couple of Skyac teams, but the women had not started. So this is what happened. Warning, we have not removed the language from here because I think it's relevant. Uh, if we had bleeped it out, I don't think it would have been as helpful. So if you do have some sensitive ears in the area, please be aware of that. Or if you're in an area not to have it be heard. And this is for those who may not have heard it yet. We're not trying to sensationalize it but in any way. But we do realize there's some who don't understand the video context in question. So here it is just to lay the groundwork for where we begin. So that's the video in question uh, that dates back to November 10th. Uh, it was released on social media by a former player, apparently. I'm not sure if that former player, I believe that former player was with the team this year and left, but I'm not sure for sure. We'll ask Mark and double check on that. Um, somehow that made it to administration, higher up than just athletics director, as I understand it. Again, we'll, we'll talk to Mark here momentarily as soon as he joins us. Uh, he was on another call. Um, we're expecting him any minute. Um, and that's where it went from there. Now, um, Mark had a, another interview with Jason Whitlock uh, over the weekend. 
that I did get a chance to listen to before this show started. We will link to it in our show page after the show, as we haven't done so yet. And what she says, it was, and he said it in a, in a statement to us that we put on Thursday as well, and he said it to others as well, that it dates to an injury that took place just prior that resulted in one of the players that was going to be one of their centers, whether it be the starter or the backup, uh, having her ACL torn. And so we do have video of that. That was posted on social media as well. And you can see that here. There's no audio here because it's irrelevant. So I'll play that for you. And there you see the injury, unfortunately, to that player. Certainly an unfortunate situation, and, and we, we feel for her for, for sure. And Mark told us that he got very emotional regarding that, got very frustrated at the team for what he thought was not the best practice and what they were trying to accomplish, and he lashed out. He admits he lashed out, and he admits that was a mistake. But there's more to it, and we're trying to get that understanding. That's why we're waiting for Mark to join us here. He told us via text he'd be with us any minute. Um, and so we are waiting patiently for him to join us. We have Zoom ready to go, and he'll join us momentarily. At that point, we can certainly learn more from him. And by the way, if for some reason this falls through, I'll share with you what I have been able to learn. But I want to talk to Mark first so that we can get it from him and understand why he felt he was fired for that. Now, remember, Mary Harden Baylor is a Christian institution. They certainly have a different, um, I would say, um, threshold for when it comes to behavior. And, and that's not an excuse or an exception of behavior for anywhere. There is certainly a healthy debate about whether the language in question, the attack, in, or the, uh, the tact, the tact is what I want to make sure I'm saying there, tact, T-A-C-T, is appropriate. And, and that's, I think, in many ways become an eye of the beholder type thing. Um. Whether you understand that you've been through your fair share of practices where coaches have been like that, I certainly have, um, and whether you think that's okay because it's not attacking anyone in particular, it's more frustration about the team, there is that point of view. There's also the point of view that that no longer is uh, tolerable or allowable on, um, on any campus or any, with any coach. I'm waiting to hear from Mark first, um, and as we continue to sit here and wait, um, the more I'm hoping he's not going to be surprising us by not arriving here. <laughs> uh, I say that a little tongue-in-cheek, but admittedly, um, Mark coming on the show is something we appreciated and respected, the fact that he was willing to come on and discuss things with us, and we hope that will remain, and so we will wait with you. If you have questions about it, you're welcome to email us or, or text us or, or tweet us, I should say, et cetera, um, to talk about this situation. And again, reminder coming up, Mike Raniak will join us, former coach himself of college. He now coaches the TBT team. We are D3. We'll talk to him about this. Again, we were trying to get some admins and some others, a panel put together to talk about the complexities of coaching. I think some people um, thought I was – I know there were some, and I – admittedly stayed off Twitter quite a bit, mainly because I was so darn busy this weekend. But there were some, I think, misunderstood my questions to some coaches last week. I was asking the difficulty of how much coaching has changed. That's not a negative thing. I'm seriously asking how much has that been a focus? How much has that been something that you've had to be keenly aware of is how much coaching has changed, how much tolerable, 
what's not tolerable, what is um, relatable, what isn't relatable. How and, and, and when Mike comes on, I've got a great quote. I'm going to paraphrase because I don't want to steal the quote directly from one of the individuals I talked to about some of those changes. Because I think it has to be understood that a lot has changed in coaching. Um, and it's not always cut and dry anymore. What I experienced when I played in high school and what I experienced when I played in college is very different than what is tolerable now. And admittedly, I had I had a coach or two that was absolutely out of line back in the 90s. Um, without sharing too much information, my son went through a situation just this past spring where his coach's behavior was beyond intolerable. He was saying things, to be honest, worse than what you heard from Mark Moorfield. And I bit my tongue because I didn't want to be that dad. I didn't want to be that parent. But arguably, it might have ruined my son's experience in the sport of lacrosse. Um, It's the second bad coach he had. The first one was just not a good coach. Didn't understand how to teach the game. That is what it is. This one, on the other hand, was different and also wasn't fair to him. Teach him one thing. He goes and does that in a game and tells him he did it wrong when he actually did it right, but he wanted him to do something different. It became very confusing for Andy. It has changed quite a bit. And so, again, was hoping Mark would be here. He has not shown up yet. I'm going to, if you bear with me here. Um, Hopefully he'll be here. Um, just going to text him real quick. Um, and that's what the panel was supposed to be. And I'll be honest. Today, talking to Mike Raniak, we're not going to figure everything out. This will not be the only conversation we have about it. We will have further conversations about it. Um, we are going to get those individuals we are hoping to get on the show and talk a little bit more in depth about these things and try and best understand how coaches can be better even when they're really good. That's the thing is it's it's about evolving. It's about development. It's about learning your craft. I, I don't think there's a single coach I've ever talked to who thinks they've figured it out. Um, and the evolution of interacting with students will always change. The interaction with parents will always change. The interaction with administration will always change. Heck, administration to administration changes, and that can be very challenging for coaches. So that's that's a topic that's worth talking about. Um, because listen, this isn't just a Mark Moorfield thing. Jody May at Albion and what he went through, which is different than what happened at Benedictine. Uh, you also have the situation at Concordia Chicago, what Steve Kohler went through. Very different and, and different responses to many people. Um, so this is, a, this is a larger topic than just being angry at a practice. This is a larger topic than just talking about whether um, you can be angry and fired up and um, be demonstrative towards your team. I mean, even as a parent, you try not to do that, and you have your moments that you slip up when they drive you nuts. This is about being racially sensitive. This is being oh, about being sensitive to student-athletes, period. This is about where's the line in motivation? Where's the line in getting the most out of your team? Where's the line in, and I don't want to use the word punishment in a negative sense, but punishment 
in the sense of, yeah, you know what? The, the thing with Concordia Chicago, from all reports, a curfew was broken. No one denies that. All right. How do you, how do you handle that with the team where they understand that there's consequences, but you don't go too far? And that's the conversations that, that I think take place. But one thing I found interesting when I was looking into trying to get a panel together, and I had a great conversation with some other people, was when coaches get together to talk about these things at their conventions, it's other coaches who give the advice, which is great. But sometimes I think outside parties might have a better sense. I now see that Mark has joined us on the blue frame, or I should say, I got to get used to saying this. It is the huddle technology, uh, huddle hoopsville hotline. It's, it's an alliteration now. It's the huddle hoopsville hotline. We'll have to get used to saying that. Bear with us because we, Mark, I think, can hear us just fine. Um, but I haven't tested to make sure we can hear him. So we're going to fly a little bit blind here. But joining us on the hotline is Mark. Mark, I assume you can hear me and, and I'm, I'm hoping you, we can hear you. Yes, I can hear you fine, Dave. And we're good. We can hear you. Great. Thanks for coming on. I uh, appreciate you bearing uh, bearing with it uh, and and getting on as soon as you could. Really appreciate that. Um, and, and coming on the show to talk about this, because there, there are many who would rather not answer questions. Uh, we know you've gone through your first round with Jason Whitlock. He's, he's greased the wheels, as it were, so you're used to talking about this. Let's start at the beginning here. We have already shown the video, both the, the, the tirade, for lack of a better word, and we've ta- shown the video of the injury that was released on social media that got you uh, and others fired up. Tell us how we got from point A to point B, because, again, that took place in November. So can you just give us a little bit of a background, just nuts and bolts, of how we evolved from that to now, and we'll then dive in from there. You know, first thing is, is obviously looking back um, – and I think what people, it, it, what needs to be kind of said is people think, you know, anytime, as you know, Dave, seeing coaches do this, they think that, okay, that's an everyday occurrence. That's what happens. That's what, how he acts. That's how he does. And, you know, I think there's a couple of things. One, um, at the mo- after the moment and the next day, I felt absolutely horrible, absolutely horrible and even address the team before that next day's practice and apologized and just shared with them that I, I should have never acted that way, should have never done that. And, you know, deeply regretful to how I handled it and wanted the team to know that because I know my mentors taught that that's not how we, that's not how we acted when I was at Valparaiso university, whether it was with Homer drew Scott drew. Um, and so I felt absolutely just horrible horrible for what had taken the plate taken place um kind of like what you shared you've seen the film of me getting upset you've seen the film of the injury and um kind of put it in a time frame um we were in a we were in a competitive drill um the competitive drill calls for you to get x amount of rebounds in a row get out by a certain time things of that nature um the team that was on the defensive end was obviously having some frustration in the drill and who's getting chippy and towards the end, um, the play was made on the ball. Um, and the, the play, the ball really wasn't really playable, so to speak, um, from a basketball standpoint, but what it was, was the player and the player who was involved in it is a great human being, a great individual. 
and it was just a frustrated basketball play rolled into the other player into the knees um, and then from that point she goes down her upper body goes one way her knees go another way and now you know she's down after processing it talking to our trainers coming out you know we're, we're it's an ACL injury and so I think the frustration was for me is to know the backstory of this individual um, she was so invested you know didn't play much her freshman year her sophomore year this towards the end of last spring just talking what can I do to play coach shared like every coach does here's what you have to do here's what I think would be best in the summer workout wise things like that and she took it to heart and she was invested and I think for me it was not right I should have controlled my emotions a lot better I should have probably stepped away from the moment and just cleared practice and said okay we're done for the day but knowing how invested she was and we're all invested in our players but then those those players that take what you're saying how to get better and how much she was invested and how much she bought into it and i was invested into her as a player getting better because she wanted to get better i i, I was hurting i was my hurt then turned into anger and then from that point that's where when we huddled up the team after we got her off the floor um, my emotions got the better of me. Um, and from that point, that's just when I was obviously using very colorful adjectives and just, um, I, I should have been better. I should have known better. I've been taught better by my mentors. Um, and I lit the emotions of her injury, my anger, my disappointment, because we're not even a month into the season and now she's done. And I let that control me and um, in that particular moment, and, and I've known better. And, you know, we've had other players that have torn their ACL, maybe in a game, maybe, you know, coming down the court in a practice and slipping and losing their footing. And, and I've hurt for them and I've felt for them um, no differently, but I think the frustration and the, the emotions were amped up because of how it happened on uh, just a, a, a reckless basketball play. You've, you've told me, and I heard you say it to Jason Whitlock, I've seen it elsewhere, that the next day you as a team met and discussed it, you apologized. Where did you think that left things with the team? You know, the thing is, is we were perfectly fine. We went out, had a good practice. Um, they acknowledged and accepted my apology, and then um, we went out and had a good practice. And um, from that point forward, Obviously, you know, we, we started out the season on a high note, 5-0, and had a great game at Emory to start the season off. And, um, you know, um, we were a very young team. Most of our team is made up of freshmen, sophomores, even the transfers. Um, at the time, we only really had um, three major returning players and this particular player who did play some minutes, but not great, uh, uh, heavy minutes the year before. We only really had three returning players, uh, four with our post player who was out for another injury. Um, you know, so we're a fairly young team and um, they were they accepted it. They were fine. They said, Coach, we understand. We get it. Um, and I told them, I said, you know, I got to be better and I will be better um, for that. And uh, we were fine um, and proceeded forward and, um, you know, went about our season. And, um, you know, you fast forward to a week ago, a little about last Tuesday um, when everything kind of took place and. Um, you know, it's a practice from November 10th and, you know, um, 
the administration at UMHB, um, who I love my time there. Um, I love to sit, I love Belton and, and I love those girls. You know, I'm so concerned about the girls because obviously with being such a young team, the mental makeup of this team, I'm worried about them, you know, um, especially where we're at in this point in the season. And, um, you know, I think for that situation, you know, um, came to the, came to the forefront, um, from the administration and, uh, you know, uh, and they're, 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 they have, it's their university. They run it. They're, they're entrusted to run the university and, um, you know, they made their decision. So my question becomes if the team, as you understand it, was okay with things on November 11th or 12th, whatever the date was, how do we get to mid to late January where suddenly the video is now back out and Clearly, higher administration has found out about it. I don't know if anybody on campus knew about it outside of your team. I, From what I've gathered, maybe some other athletes or some other teams may have known about it, but I mean further on than that. Yeah. How do we get to this point? How do you, how do you understand getting to here where now this has become something that you thought was in the back and no longer a relevant issue? You know, Dave, I think that's the million-dollar question. Um, you know, the time of year and things of that nature that it is, um, you know, there, there's always speculation and theories and, you know, um, especially in today's world, um, you know, maybe a particular athlete's not getting the playing time that they want, or they're not getting the opportunity in their eyes that they see as fair. And, um, I, I think that, you know, in today's social media, the the quickness and availability of information um, and the ability to get things very quickly, um, you know, it, it's almost kind of it almost becomes like a sense of leverage um, for players um, that maybe are not experiencing the success that they're having. Maybe um, you know they feel that they should be given more opportunities. And I think that's the one thing that with our program we're very transparent with our players um, and. and you know, I think the 35 to 40 former players who have reached out to me over the last 48 hours and said, coach, we support you. Um, you've impacted our lives. We know who you are. I, I think that's the biggest thing is, is that we're very transparent and we give the players, here's what it takes to succeed. Effort coming in, working on your craft, wanting to get better and opening this to be coached. And, um, you know, I think that Sometimes for, you know, the players that have had success here and the players that have been here for three, four years, um, you know, they buy into that. The players that, you know, leave either whether it's four months, six months, semester, a year, year and a half, they just don't buy into that. They don't buy into that sense of work ethic. And so, you know, I think in today's world in society um, that, you know, we can we can sit here and speculate. Um, Obviously, there's a couple of players that weren't happy. We did have uh, two players that left that semester, um, you know, and there, there's, a, you know, one or two players that are not happy with their role or their minutes or the chances, the, the lack of chances that they're getting. But like we tell them, every day in practice, you have a chance to earn playing time. The game is not where you earn it. It's in practice. The game is the reward. And so, you know, you always look back and, um, you know, obviously there's, you know, a disgruntled player, a disgruntled former player that, you know, maybe their career didn't pan out how they saw it um, panning out. And, um, you know, unfortunately, that's the society we live in is where, 
um, you know, there, there's that situation where they may sit there and say, well, I'm going to get coach. And I think that's the thing too, Dave, is in coaching as a head coach, an assistant coach, you have to accept the responsibility that you're always going to be at fault. You're always going to be at fault for the player whose career didn't pan out in college. You're always going to be at fault for the for the player whose professional career didn't pan out because you didn't get it he or her ready. And so you're always going to be at fault and you're always going to be they're always going to reflect back that it's the coach's fault. And I think that you got to accept that responsibility and you got to know that being a coach, whether it's high school, collegiately, whatever level it may be, that you're always going to be the reason for their fault. And, um, you know, one of the things that we really pinpoint in our program is about accountability. You know, accountability is not to tear you down. Accountability is to be able to accept where and when you can be better and how you can handle it better. And, um, you know, that's what, you know, I don't have, you know, I, I can sit here and say, well, this might have led to from this person or that person because this person was unhappy. This person left because she wasn't happy. And we can point those directions. Um, but, you know, in most of these cases, it's it comes from a player who's not happy with his or her role and, um, you know, feels that, you know, they, they want to take advantage of a situation and, um, you know, try to see, well, you know what, it's coach's fault. So let's get coach out of here. We know that the, all right, well, let me say, I shouldn't say we know. I believe the person who shared the video online is one of the former players you're speaking of. Yes. But I can't say, I don't know if you know. I don't know because, well, let me back up. Let me back up one question before that. What did administration tell you when they terminated you about that video, about what happened in that video and their thoughts on it. We'll get to the rest of it in a minute, but let's start there. What did what did the administration say to you? Um, the biggest thing was that was relayed to me in our meeting was this is just egregious behavior and egregious language and um, just not acceptable. And um, that that's that's what was shared with me. And then at that point in the meeting, just was shared that we we're going to separate from our employee contract um, from you and then the um, University of Mary Harden Baylor. Did they indicate? who made the complaint they did not okay i i wasn't suspecting they would but i figured i'd ask all right so that pivots the person who put it out i believe she stated she's a former player she's also shared a comment from a former player obviously they were disgruntled i don't know because to be fair Sometimes Twitter names don't line up with, with reality names. I can't figure I, – I don't want to say for sure I know who those individuals are or where they timed out. But as you understand it, are they involved or they just happen to be part – let me rephrase that. Are they part of what went to administration or are they just part of, hey, this is why we think he got fired and, and we were upset too? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. I think, um, one, I don't think they're a part of it. Um, I think – Given that it's a practice film and how we control our huddle, they would not have access to the practice film um, because obviously when someone leaves the program or graduates, we, you know, we take them off of that accessibility. Um, I do believe it's somebody that was in or currently in the program okay. um, that aired it. Um, and then I think from that point, you know, obviously, um, you know, may have shared it with her or, um, not really sure how she got it. Um, I think okay. we all kind of scratched our head that how did she get it um, and so forth. But I do, I do firmly believe that it was someone that's been on the team this year, whether it's, um, you know, currently on the team right now or may have left 
at, um, at semester. Uh, let me ask a, a little bit of a, a tough question. I, I know we, we kind of discussed this a little bit off air, but th- that individual states that this was a common occurrence. She shared with a, a statement from someone else. I, I We don't know who. She never indicated who it was, and it didn't say in the statement that it was a, a common occurrence as well, that, that your... Your passion, your fiery statements, et cetera, were more than just a one-off. And to be honest, I've watched a number of Mary Harden-Baylor games. I, I know you are animated on the sidelines, and I've been told by many a people that you have your moments on the sideline, too, of colorful language and such. So I'm trying to balance, and I'm trying to best understand what's the difference between what happened in November and what others are saying was more of a common occurrence. Where are, where are we with those two things? Yeah, I think the thing is, is I think you kind of as an individual and I know, as you know, Dave, no one in the social media world or in the public eye are going to really dig down and do research. You know, they're going to see what they see immediately who, you know, oh, that's horrible. I think what needs to, you know, I think when you look at it is you look at some of these former players and, you know, we're talking about the individual who did it and the, you know, and obviously we not, we're not really sure. I'm not really sure who the person is with the letter. I do know that this individual had tried to reach out to other former players and she was told we're not going to participate in this. Um, so she was trying to obviously drum up some other former players to try to piggyback on this. And, um, you know, it's been relayed to me by other former players that, Coach, we support you and we're not going to participate in this because we know who you are. I think what happens is when you have a when you have players that careers don't pan out, they think that they have come here um, and they think. And, I, and as you know, this, Dave, a lot of people think, uh, well, you know what is Division three? I should be able to play right away. And they don't understand the competitive nature and the level of basketball that Division three is. And it's very good basketball. And I think the biggest thing is, is. Anytime that a player comes and their career doesn't pan out, doesn't pan out in their eyes, um, don't maybe buy into the culture of what we're trying to establish, which is a, a strong work ethic to come in every day, compete at a high level, treat everybody with respect, respect your teammates, have each other's back. And when those things don't pan out, um, I think the ax to grind is with the coach. And so anytime that they can piggyback on something um, to kind of, express their frustration, but then to not have the accountability for what they didn't do, it's easier for them to, hey, let's dogpile on the coach who's going through this instead of really stepping back and saying, let's have a sense of accountability here. And here's why my career did not pan out. And um, those individuals whose careers haven't panned out, you know, I think the one thing I've learned in my time is that you document everything. And, you know, those meetings have come and gone and you know, I've documented those meetings and, you know, they know for what reasons their careers have not panned out. Um, and most of them, to be honest with you, Dave, have quit on their own, on their own. And it's not because, oh, coach, you're a tyrant, you're an evil man. And, you know, I can't handle this. It always comes back to playing time. It always comes back to playing time. It comes back to I'm not given a fair opportunity. I'm not given a fair chance. But yet every day we tell our team practice is like a tryout. And what we mean by that is every day you have the opportunity to gain minutes to play in the game. And, um, you know, you go back to those meetings of those individuals that, you know, their careers have not panned out and was a short period of time. It always circled back. It always circles back to playing time. 
whether losing minutes, whether not getting minutes, um, but it always comes back to playing time. And, and that's what I find, you know, and, and not that, you know, and we tell our girls, you know, don't get into Twitter wars. You're not going to win a Twitter war. You're not going to win a social media war. But what you need to do is that, you know, they, it's the unfortunate part of social media because the other side won't be told and the other side won't be shared. But again, you know, those individuals that have an ax to grind, it always comes back to playing time and it always comes back to, you know, they weren't, they didn't, it's not that they weren't treated fair or there's a mental abuse or anything like that. It always comes back to, I wasn't given the playing time that I feel I should have deserved. And, and, Certainly, I've talked to a number of coaches over the years, and that's a common refrain and a common conversational point that you do face players who maybe don't understand the landscape as well, or you're trying to give them that education. But back to part of that question, you know, I've seen you on the sidelines. Others I have talked to have been in your presence, and that fiery emotion is there in the middle of games. I'm trying to help understand where's the difference between what we've seen in November, because I can see where people might put that together and say, you know what, this isn't a one-off. It's it's a common thing. This is taking place. And if I'm seeing it on the basketball court and now I've seen it at a practice that's over the top, maybe what I'm seeing from a couple of players is true. It is happening more often. How do we come to grips with that unclarity? Yeah, that's a great question, Dave. And I think the biggest thing is on the sidelines. And we've had people that come to practice regularly um, that have seen practice, um, you know, on the sidelines, you know, you're always being watched. Um, you know that people are watching. And I think the biggest difference is, is what you see on the film and what you see on the sidelines. Yes, I coach with passion because I have a passion for the game and passion for the players. But I don't I think what you see is there's not that sense of colorful language. Yes, I may get upset at a player and say, you got to be better at this, or we got to do this. But I also think on the flip side, you see me on the side teaching them and showing them exactly what we got to adjust. Um, I think that also on the same token is that there, there's a difference between coaching with a passion and then coaching with too much colorful language and, you know, in, in the games. And, you know, we, we have people that sit behind us at UMHB. My son sits with me on the bench, things of that nature, sometimes from time to time. Um, you know, I, I do coach with a sense of passion, but obviously what you see in the video at practice is, you know, obviously I don't coach with that colorful language. Yes. Do I get upset? Yes, I do get upset. Do I get upset at players and get on them? Yes. Um, you know, when they've made a mistake, but I think what you're looking at, there's a difference in the fact that the colorful language and the colorful adjectives that were used in the practice, that's not what you see in the game and, and describing it to the players. And I think it's the thing is, is we've had former players that say, coach, you know what? We like it that you're passionate about the game of basketball and passionate about us being the best that we can. But I think that's where the difference is, is obviously I don't coach like what you saw on the practice film in the games or on a daily basis and practice. And, and, and we have several people that come, whether it was, you know, the, the individual who does our streaming, um, whether it's um, an individual who's a, who's a, you know, a couple individuals that are fans of the program, um, friends that may stop by. And so our practices are always open, um, given the fact as well, too, that there's always, you know, you never know when there's going to be an admissions tour coming in. 
um, you, given the fact that you don't know, you know, I, I've, I've shared with faculty, they're like, coach, can we walk the track during practice? And I'll tell them, yeah, sure. I, we're not going to, we're not hiding anything in here, you know? And so our, our practices are open and the doors are open and we have, you know, there's times that faculty and staff are walking on the track above friends coming through um, individuals who like practice. And, and it's not one of those things where it's like, okay, you can only come on Wednesdays and then Monday, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday, we're just going, you know, crazy on them. It's always open. It's always constantly open. And, um, you know, I, I think what people make is um, construing passion with negativity and using language that's degrading. Um, and, and there is a fine difference in both of them. Your roster um, is significant in terms of numbers. Uh, what, 25, 30 players. You talk yes. about a couple of players who may not have had um, the or didn't meet the expectations of playing time and others. I, I, I'm I'm genuinely curious. Is that maybe a, a little bit of a role of recruiting that? And, and I ask this genuinely because I've seen this in a, in a lot of places that you've got so many players on that roster that it's almost impossible to to get the experience as a student athlete that maybe they're looking for. I'm not talking mm -hmm. about an Amherst scenario where they've got eight to 10, but is 20 to 35 to 30 almost, almost begging for a problem? Well, Dave, you know, obviously everything's 2020 in hindsight. So the last couple of days, as you reflect back, yeah, you know, and I think that's the issue. And, you know, and again, I think the biggest thing is, is we're very transparent. We sit down with each and every player, um, you know, probably I would say mid-November, right before we're about to kick off and uh, go over roles with each of them and tell them, okay, here's where you're at. Here's where you need to develop and things like that. And obviously that that, that is a very large roster. Um, I think the one thing is, is that the success of the program has probably drawn some talent that, you know, maybe we, we have not gotten in the past and you don't want to pass up on that talent. Um, and so you're always, as a coach, you're always worried about injuries. You're always worried about, you know, who's going to stick, who's not going to stick. And then obviously in division three, as you know, Dave, who's going to show up. And I think that's the biggest thing is, is there's a lot of concern um, in that. And so, um, you know, has the program has flourished and has the program has grown, um, you know, looking back, yeah, that that is a bit much. Um, you know, we've averaged about 13 players in double digit minutes, I believe, in the last four years, um, which which is good. But on the same token, when you're bringing in 24, 25 uh, players, I, I do think that obviously that roster is probably a little big, um, you know, but I think the one thing, too, is we've always been transparent and we've always told those younger ones, listen, we want to develop you. We want, we're not just going to throw you to the wayside. You know, sure. we, we do have a development program. We do have a program with our assistants and myself. Um, and as, as the season goes, it's more on my assistants to get, you know, spend time with those girls in the gym, elevate their game. So it's not like they don't feel like they're neglected, but on the same token too, there's also a sense of buy-in. And as you know, the two hours of practice and a 45 minute workout isn't going to make you the player that you want to be. It's always what's you have to put in on that extra time. And sure. that seems to be sometimes the biggest issue that players have is they justify, well, I did practice for two hours. I worked out with a coach for 45 minutes, so I'm good. Well, if you really want to excel, that's not really enough. And it's not like you have to live in the gym every day. And we've told our girls, listen, if you come in for 30 minutes and go hard, 
that's going to that's going to make a world of difference. You don't need to be in here for two hours and, and shooting around. If you go hard for 30 minutes on your own, you're going to be you, you're going to make you're going to see a big difference. And so I think that the size. Yeah, obviously, um, I think that some of the younger players that we've gotten freshman wise, it was hard to say no. Um, the transfers, I think it was hard to say no, but then I kind of go back to what, you know, I just said, you just be in division three, you don't know who's going to show up. You don't know who someone's maybe gets, you know, swiped in by a division two and says, Hey, I'm going to give you some athletic money. Um, you don't know what's going to happen in the family dynamic. Um, you don't know about injuries. And I think like right now, if you look at our whole front line was basically decimated by injuries, the individual that we're talking about, we had two other post with an injury and then another post that had an injury. And so we've kind of had to transition someone who was a wing player for us last year before she went out with an ACL injury to play the five for us. And so you just never know. And, and I think some of the fear goes back to my third year. We're playing in the ASC conference championship game against East Texas the year they made the elite eight run. And we are down eight, nine players. And, um, you know, we've had to kind of shift things around. We've kind of had to recreate what we're doing offensively and defensively. And, um, you know, I, I just kind of took it on as a coach of, I want, I would rather have depth and have the next man up mentality than spend the last two weeks of conference trying to recreate what we're doing because we've been hit by injuries. Um, so, so how forth. much, how much more important then is it to best understand who those players are, who their families are in general, the, the dynamic that you're bringing into the team? We know it's not a, perfect science and team chemistry is important though one bad player and i mean that in a very general sense can ruin the chemistry on a team that said one great player can make a team gel in a heartbeat so you've got 25 to 30 players there's not going to be enough minutes to go around how careful do you have to be then to make sure you bring in the right student yeah, and that's a great question, Dave. And I think the biggest thing looking back and going, you know, forward um, with the next program that, you know, hopefully I have an opportunity to build is that I think what you got to do is you got to know, okay, this is where we're at. This is who we have and probably not take some of those late high school players in March and April and, and stick with what you've been able and the ones that you've really invested in, maybe not take the ones that you've only recruited for a month or two months here, but the ones that you've really invested in or the transfers that you've recruited and now they want to come back. And I think that's the biggest thing is, is now looking back, it's got to be about who you've had that relationship with the longest and maybe stay away from those more, I, I hate to use the term, but pop-up type recruits where, you know, it might be February and you start recruiting because you're worried this person may not come back or this person may decide just to pursue her academics and just say, okay, you know what? Transfers are a different story for the spring because that's when it most happens. Our high school stuff, and we've been fortunate. We've gotten most girls committed that we wanted in high school the, the fall of their high senior year. And just cut it off at that and say, okay, these are the girls we've invested in. These are the girls that we know and leave the spring open for any type of transfers that we may have recruited previously. And that particular situation has not worked out for them. And now they want to come back and look at that university. And so I think that's the biggest thing, you know, going forward, that's kind of the formula and the approach, because I think it's always the ones that you kind of take on late 
that are the ones, especially the high school ones, and that you didn't really have that time to formulate that relationship with and really get to know that kind of are the ones that could kind of be the ones that are unhappy because you've already established that relationship with the ones and spent your time on the ones that committed in the fall. And it's those late high school ones that sometimes that you haven't had that opportunity to do, or even those late transfers that you may have not recruited out of high school that kind of come back and always are the ones looking back that kind of, okay, they're the ones that aren't the happy ones. I'm curious if this had been, I, I asked this genuinely, if this had been a men's team or even a less religious orientated university, do you think you still would have been fired for what happened in that November meeting and or someone bringing it to light to the administration? It's a good question, Dave. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing is, is I've been trying to talk to my inner circle of people in the athletic community and administration and coaches. And, you know, it, it kind of goes down the it kind of goes down the middle. Um, I think what you have to have is a strong AD and a strong president that, you know, will back you. Um, I also think it just depends on the situation. Um, does it happen at a, at, a pri at a public state university or college? Um, I think that I think the dynamic might have been a little bit different where a, a heavy punishment would have come on, um, you know, zero tolerance, maybe a game or two suspension, um, you know, but I've also heard from some other individuals that I'm close with that are within the private college or university sector. And they're like, well, you know, if it got brought to the attention, you know, probably a firm punishment doesn't help that it was on Twitter. And so it's kind of it's kind of hard because it's kind of down the middle a little bit. And I think it just comes down to the individual um, and stuff. Um, you know, I've had some other um, athletic administrators that are in the that are in private universities and colleges and said, hey, you know what? Might be tough to push it through the president this time, but the second time, you know, coming from another institution, I can hire you right off the bat. And so um, I don't know, I, I, I know, you know, we're, we're talking to, you know, that's this particular one and this is the, you know, this is what they saw. And I think, um, you know, obviously I was a little disappointed. I was, you know, obviously very regretful, very remorseful. It obviously shared that with the team the next day on November 11th. And, um, you know, it's something that I'm not proud of and it's not something that I'm sitting there and justifying, I was in the wrong. And from this point forward, I'll be better for it and I'll be better um, and, and better in my coaching and better in how I, you know, relate to the team in terms of, you know, is it, if it's the men's, I think the biggest issue wasn't so much brought to the attention. I think that, you know, Dave, I just, I don't know. You got me on a good question there. I got a stumper. You got me on a stumper. Um, you know, I mean, I have theories. Yeah. If it was the men's program may, or if it was a men's team, yeah, maybe it gets overlooked because it's men's basketball players. You know, maybe it doesn't. Um, if I'm at a state university or college, you know what? Maybe I get a heavy reprimand. Um, don't do it again. Um, you know, and then we go about our business. And I do have some friends that, you know, they did get those reprimands and, you know, they've been fine since then. Um, so and, and that's both on the men's and women's side. What do you. 
You say you'll be better. I'm curious what you've already internalized that you will take from this. What is it? What's the biggest thing that you may change and or do differently in general moving forward? Not specific to that one scenario, but in general. No, and I think the biggest thing is, is, you know, obviously we can all sit here and say, well, I got to be better with my emotions. And I think it's how you approach with your emotions. I think given that point in time, I should have just sent everybody home, focused on Megan, which I did afterwards, went right to the training room and made sure she was okay. But just to really focus on not letting my emotions control me and in this particular situation and let my emotions probably just step back from the team, knowing that the individual who made it, yes, was it a reckless basketball play? Yes. Did she do it intentionally? No, she did not do it. Um, But to step back and just let, and just do a better job of processing my emotions before addressing the team, um, just calling it and saying, okay, everyone go home. We just, it's, we're done for today. Um, I think the other thing too is, is that, you know, um, being more sensitive to the nature, being sensitive, more sensitive to the situation, um, being more sensitive to what's going on. Um, maybe, fi- well, not maybe, but doing, finding a way to better uh, get your point across without such colorful adjectives. Um, and the point that we were trying to make was reckless plays lead to injuries happening. This is not basketball, but it can be done without saying the language that was used. And um, there's a better way of addressing that with not such language and doing it with emotion, but maybe uh, obviously with better language, but again, just really discussing it with the team and trying to make it a teachable moment that, you know, this particular situation cannot occur again because this is where we're at and we're all a family and we don't want to take out and we don't want to see family members have season ending career injuries. Uh, I appreciate the time you've given us. I, I, I will wrap things up, but I am curious. You know, coaches are looked upon, especially in high school and college, as leaders, being part of leadership and teaching leadership, but also teaching a lot of other things: how to best interact with individuals who may not be like yourself, et cetera, et cetera. How to get through the tough stuff, how to overcome, grow, and be a better person. How much of this do you now look on and see that wasn't exactly the best modeling of what we expect a lot from coaches? Yeah, no, and obviously that particular day was not. And I think, you know, I go back and I reflect the the leadership time that we've had and we incorporate leadership time into our program. And, you know, whether it's bringing different dynamics, whether it's individuals, whether it's um, different authors and different readings, you know, we do make a preference to understand and be better leaders and leadership. And that's what's something that we really try to drive home with our girls and, and try to do with accountability. And so we do spend a lot of time with teaching leadership and accountability and, and being the best version of you. And matter of fact, I got a text last night from an individual who um, was a former player, was here for two years. She did tear her ACL her second year and just decided basketball wasn't for her. And this is probably four years ago. And uh, she texted me and said, coach, I want to thank you for what you've done in my life and what you've taught me. And, you know, and she shared with me where she was at. She's married now. She's finishing up some requirements for, to be a physician's assistant. And yet here's an individual who reached out, played for me for two years, tore her ACL midway through the season um, and didn't play major minutes, wasn't a major player, 
but sent a text out and saying, thank you for everything you've done and everything you've taught me. So I, I feel that, you know, in general, our, our approach has been, has been solid. Unfortunately, I fell from that approach that one day and got away from the approach and what I've taught our players and what I've taught our assistant coaches. And um, I, I was a poor example of that that day. And uh, going forward, need to know that, you know, to be the leader, you can't be the poor example. And you have to day in and day out be the right example for those young ladies and those assistant coaches that are in your program. To that point, um, how careful do you have to be to make sure the adulation of those who wanted to give you your just due to thank you for what you did and, and to say they had no problem with it, how much do you have to make sure that isn't what you remember and it's the comments by those who weren't happy that those at least hold some place in your mind as you move forward and continue to grow? Yeah, I think the biggest ones for the ones that have said, coach, we support you. They know that that's not me. They know that that's not how practices were. They know that, yes, coach coach demanded us to be good and demanded us to work. And I think there's a difference between demanding and degrading. And they know that I was demanding. And they know that I expected them to come in every day and give 100% effort and to do the right things by what the program stood for. And I think that's the thing that you have to keep and not creep into the ones who have an ax to grind or their careers didn't pan out. And you have to stay focused to knowing that, you know what? Yes, it, it, it was, it was, a, it was not the right time. It was the wrong incident. I handled it very, very poorly. There is no doubt beyond a shadow of a doubt that I handled that day poorly. But then you have to look at, okay, the eight years that I was here and the girls that are coming back and saying, coach, you made me the coach I am or coach, thank you for what you've done. And I think you have to remember that and know that, you know, that one poor day and that extremely poor decisions cannot define me as an individual and as a coach. And it's the, it's the other whatever many days that did define me as a coach and as a player. Certainly. I, I don't disagree with that. I just was curious the balance and I, and I certainly appreciate the answer. Well, yeah, obviously you learn about it, you know, and, and I think what you got to do is you got to take it with a grain of salt for those that are kind of on the, on the opposite side. And, and you know where their careers were and you know, those discussions that happened with me and my two assistants with those players, obviously those discussions will not come to light in Twitter and they're not going to. Um, but I think what you got to do is I think more or less what you have to balance is what the players have supported, but also be better and learn from that day. And I think that's where the balance comes in is, okay, this will not happen again. I'm going to be better and I'm not going to let this day happen again down the road or in my next, you know, my next program or my next stop. I'm not going to let that happen. And I think that's where the balance is um, because obviously you take more worth from learning from that experience, but also the what the former players have said and, and that's how you balance it. You don't want to sit there and say, okay, yeah, you know what? You're right. I was, you want to take ownership in it. I was wrong. I was regretful, obviously remorseful and shared that with the team, but I want to make sure that I'm better as a coach moving forward from that day, but really don't let the noise of the players who maybe didn't have the careers that they had. Don't let that creep in. Um, I think it's better to take and learn from the situation and be better from that than what they're saying. Well, I appreciate the time. Uh, I appreciate you coming on uh, and answering our questions and, and helping us understand the landscape a little bit more. Um, I, and I, I know you're you're hoping you can return to coaching in some capacity. 
um, in the in the future, wherever that may be. In the meantime, as you know, we always give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuned in? Well, I really appreciate Dave having me on and giving me this opportunity. And I think the biggest thing is is that um, you know, obviously, um, it, it was not my finest hour, not my finest time as a coach. And um, you know, I feel for those young ladies that right now, and it, it's a great group of young ladies. Um, I love them like my daughters. And um, obviously very regretful and remorseful for, for them going through this. And, um, you know, obviously very remorseful for how I handled the situation that day in November 10th. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're looking forward to, to improve, be better, and to um, have an opportunity, hopefully, to build another strong program. Well, again, thanks for the time, Mark. Um, good luck moving forward. We'll be interested to see where this, this leads in general. Uh, we're certainly wishing your former team well as well as they move forward. Um, and thanks for the time. I appreciate it. Really do. Thanks a lot, Dave. Absolutely. Mark Morefield joining us on the uh, Huddle Hoopsville Hotline. we got to get our graphics changed on that. Again, I do genuinely thank Mark for coming on the show and, and taking the time to join us. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, some thoughts on what he had to say on some other things. We'll eventually be joined by Mike Raniak, and then we will pivot and talk men's basketball with Bob Quillman and Ryan Scott. I'm sure they'll have some thoughts to share here. I know both have tweeted some thoughts already. We're running a little bit behind because Mark was a little late and the conversation went a little longer than I expected it to. But we'll take a break here, come back. I'll share you some of my thoughts on that. We'll get Mike Raniak to join us, uh, and then we'll pivot and talk to uh, Bob Quillman and uh, Ryan Scott as well. You're listening to Hoops Hope, presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA and ABC Studios. More after this. Coach of the Year, Administrator of the Year, All-America Team, Wade Trophy. The WBCA doesn't just honor coaches, but players, administrators, and much more. The WBCA strives to honor those who have contributed to the advancement of women's basketball. Celebrate the present, honor the past, look to the future. For the love of the game, but for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more. Sure, the game is important, but as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team. That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics, and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world. Help us keep that dream alive. You can make a difference. It's on us, it's on all of us, and it's time to act now. It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us, it's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. I learned a lot of valuable lessons playing college football. 
I never thought about the health benefits of exercise until I actually started to talk to coaches in college. It's not only just for performance, it's for life. My coaches instilled the importance of well-being, not only building up strength, mental health, getting enough sleep, eating properly, it's all what it is to be healthy. I decided that I want to go into personal training and share my knowledge that I obtained in college about physical and mental well-being. These are your teams, your players, your community of fans. This is where they play, where they practice, where you cheer at every meet, every event, every game. Your community is passionate, dedicated, supportive. You know the tension of a close game and the thrill of the win. So while you're cheering, keep an eye out for anything out of the ordinary. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. I used to never really talk, ever. Uh, I was afraid if I said something wrong, everyone would laugh at me. But then I started to play golf with Special Olympics. It helped me to find my voice. And now everyone else is speechless. We've got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. As we continue on this uh, different Monday show, not as many segments with coaches as we normally would have. If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville, hashtag Hoopsville. You can email us, Hoopsville, at D3Sports.com. You can also join us where we're simulcasting the show on YouTube and Facebook, youtube.com slash D3Hoopsville and facebook.com slash Hoopsville. Uh, we'll try and answer your questions and give uh, a sense of where we see things uh, or don't see things or whatever the case may be, we certainly hope you'll take the time to join us nonetheless. Uh, lots to break down in that. Uh, I've got my thoughts on it. Um, I've also got thoughts uh, from a, a colleague of ours, uh, Mike Raniak, who he and I talked a little bit about it over the uh, course of uh, the, the weekend. Uh, to be honest, we tried to put a bigger segment together. Uh, it just didn't pan out the way we wanted it to. So I'm going to do this a little bit different. I'm going to share my thoughts on what Mark had to say in the whole scenario while bringing Mike Raniak in. This is just the tip of the iceberg as we get going on things, but I also want to talk about some of the other topics. It's an overarching thing about coaching now. You have the Albion and the Benedictine case where it was about racial words and, and how they were used, especially by white male coaches. And you also have the Concordia Chicago scenario where it's being hard in a practice is a punishment, etc. So joining us on the 
I know it says Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline Graphics, but it is the Huddle Hoopsville Hotline. Mike Raniak joins us. Uh, Mike, I don't know how much you got a chance to listen to that interview, but let me start by saying first, I'm glad Mark was able to come on our show. A little disappointed it wasn't the exclusive we were hoping for. Um, and and all due respect to Mark, as as some have pointed out on Twitter, he was apologetic yet still clearly. I think a little frustrated that maybe his coaching was called out. Is that is that fair? Yeah, first and foremost, um, thanks for having me on. Uh, this is so much to unpack, and it's and it's a very difficult, obviously, topic and, and landscape to, to to work with. And and obviously, you know, I myself and and have and, and never will be a perfect coach, but. I do. I, I did catch the segment, and I, I don't know. I, I it's just very difficult. Like I, I think there's several things that I, I can see his point of view as a coach. I can see completely the administration's point of view, and I can see completely the players' point of view. And there's a lot of things that are kind of moving pieces there. Um, personally. You know, not the I've worked for and worked alongside and coached against some pretty successful coaches that haven't ever relied on that type of um, uh, language to get their point across. Um, I, I think that's part of our roles as coaches. We are educators and, you know, quite frankly, we're probably going to be the biggest educator in that student athlete's life. So it's all built on relationships and so on and so forth. Um, it, it, I just think in today's day and age, certain things just don't fly. And in all those situations that you described at the different schools, uh, whether it be Albion, whether it be Concordia, Chicago, whether it be Mary Hart and Baylor, um, they don't fly. The days and age of, of uh, you know Bobby Knight throwing the chair, he would be he would be candid in like two seconds nowadays, you know, to be honest. Like, let's be real. Um, and I think like that's part of our evolution as a society, evolution as coaches, evolutions as educators. Um it's just very difficult to have that happen. Um, I think there's several things that I think led him to that point. Um, that that kind of opened himself up for some criticism, whether it be warranted or not. Um it's just a loaded type of scenario that, you know, especially in today's day and age, we don't know what the administration, you know, was is this the first complaint? Was this the one that broke the camel's back? I don't know. We weren't we aren't at Mary Hart and Baylor. Right. But I think like there is there are some things there that led to kind of that scenario to play out. Yeah, I want to I, I asked him a couple of times, you know, how do we justify what we do see on in a game and your your histrionics and, and behavior there versus comments said that this is an ongoing thing and we see a pretty bad one, let's be honest, in a November practice. And 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 to remind people, the Thursday show, I hadn't been able to see that video until I literally saw it as I'm trying to air it, uh, unsuccessfully for everybody. So I hadn't been able and, and every word was exactly what Mark had told me was said, but it's different when you hear the words and how they're presented and all the context involved in that. 
one thing I wanted to get to the bottom of, and, and I gave him a couple chances at it, and I don't think we got there, is, you know, he says his behavior, he doesn't use the language uh, on the on the sideline that he used in that practice. And, and all due respect to Mark, that's not what I know. Um, I know he's used some pretty colorful language in games. He's been ejected for some really, really rough language. Um, and I've been told that not only by several people who have seen it on hand, but, you know, you sometimes can hear things on web streams. Um, I know what he's trying to say, but I, I think there's still some growth to be had there. But I also asked him a question, Mike, I'm curious your take on. If that's not as big a, a, a Christian school, if that's a men's team, because let's be honest, if we think this isn't happening, and this is not a shot at any other Mary Harden-Baylor coach, but do we think the football team is having a lack of swear word practice going on? This is a program that expects to win national championships, and yeah. I'm not trying to pick on them. My, my point is, do we think there's any scenario here and I'm not trying to blame it on women either, but that just that's why it, it broke this way, or is it selective choice of a firing because a parent, a player, or whoever brought it to administrative's attention? I I, I have I have a little bit of trouble understanding that if a football player brought this same type of thing to administration, I, I can't see the same thing happening. Well that's the that's the gender thing, right? Like, and, it, yeah, and that's why I say, like, is it a gender thing or is it is it selective based on every scenario that even if it was a woman's team, maybe they look the other way if whatever. Like, why is why does it feel like this is an inconsistent decision? And that's not to defend Mark. It's yeah. more to say, if that's true, if that's your problem, why aren't you really enforcing it? Which makes me think, and and in my, you know, I I coached college for 15 years, and and I was the head coach for eight, and now I work on the pro side of things, and and obviously I have so many friends in the business. This could be a scenario where maybe there were some situations prior, and this was the one thing that administration was like. This is it. We've had it. That is the one f question I neglected to get to. I've talked to him off the record, not off the record, but off air, and he says there there was nothing else in his file. But you and I have but seen I, him. But like, they've been at games, right? Ejections, right? I've right. never been. Yep. I've never been ejected. I got one technical in 15 years, and it was because I yelled literally the words. It was a, a travel as loud as I could. So <laughs> you weren't you trying know, hard not, enough, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I know. I got. I didn't try hard enough. And and like to be honest, like in some of my peers, um, critique me for not being hard enough on referees. That's well, just that's a whole my, other topic. That's a whole other topic, right? But like you talk about, I think when you get into this, it bothers me, and it bothers me when coaches go over the line. And they use the excuse passion. I have a tough time with that. I, I'm passionate about coaching. I'm passionate about the players I coach. I, I talk with 
all the TBT guys and all my D3 guys and, and coaches from all over the country. I'm passionate. But I cannot imagine being in a situation, no matter how frustrated I was and things like that, to just go off the handle like that. Repeatedly. You, you, you said at the beginning it's, it's, it's impossible to be perfect. You'll never be a perfect coach. And I've heard that mm -hmm. from many an administrator and coach, too. It's impossible um, to achieve perfection as a coach. And I'm pivoting a little bit here because there is an element, and I'm, I'm stealing from an AD. I'm paraphrasing what he says so he can still use it mm -hmm. in his future consulting work. He knows who I'm talking about. <laughs> but a, 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 computer a computer science professor wouldn't be a very good teacher right now if they were teaching WordPerfect. You, you have to evolve not only to the game, but to the world. And, and I think that was, Bob, let's be honest, that was Bobby Knight's downfall. Yep. He had a long downfall. He should have been gone <laughs> far sooner. But his downfall, I mean, he was just more of a slope instead of a yeah. cliff. Sorry, correction, slower. Well, public reaction was a cliff. His yeah. career was a slope. The he he was still in though in that you know early Apple computer days while we were all running on laptops, yes. and and that is sometimes hard for a coach to pivot on. We've we, that is that is an old story. We see it all mm -hmm. the time. But to to the point of running your players to the point they're they're hospitalized. We haven't heard the whole story there. Um, the you know using racial slurs even if you're repeating them and in this case being very demonstrative and using very aggressive language in a passionate moment to use to paraphrase there those are all as you said things in the past how do coaches improve themselves to turn to what away from what they used to do that just shouldn't be done anymore how do they do that? I think the biggest thing is, is like as coaches, we preach being coachable to our players. Wow. Good point. Are we being coachable? The days and age of um, that authoritative get on the line run. Is there a point in time? Absolutely. I do it in, in practice oh, sometimes with my CYO sure. girls all the time. Right. Well, there's, to be honest, there's a, like, there's a cardiovascular side of that. Totally, right? Like, But are we being coachable? Are we reading the room right now? Society's Fair. room right now, There, certain coaches are reading the room very well and making the adjustments. Administrations are doing the same. There is so much training that goes on at these college campuses, whether it be Title IX compliance, social media awareness, um, uh, LGBTQT awareness, um, all, all these um, issues and, and, and discussion points in society, all these trainings are going on. Coaches right now that are um, that old school mentality, if you do not get better and be coachable and read the room right now, you're not going to last long, quite frankly. It, it's look, look at um, just a couple years ago, a couple years, probably maybe now almost a decade. Mike Rice, right? Mike Rice, Division One, threw the point. basketball, 
He he said the exact same word, passion. It was because he was passionate. Passion, passion. Where's Mike Rice now? He's not coaching. Right. And like I, I think, you know, it might be doing some some workouts and stuff, uh, you know, in, in Jersey. But to be <laughs> honest, like as a coach, like you have to adjust. But at the same point in time, right, whether you're ahead of a company, whether you're a coach, whether you're running Hoopsville or whatever, right, if you can't, um, you cannot coach also looking over your shoulder either. That's It's very tough if you're – we try to educate and push our players, but if we're so worried about what we say and what we do – you can't do it effectively. Yeah. So, well, and to to that point, yes, that, that that's kind of my other curiosity to this is there's an element now that's also changed, and, and I alluded to this on Thursday, but a lot of the information, and this is why I was a, I, I try to be careful with it. A lot of the information has changed. There is a part of this, and again, I'm I'm not trying to give any benefit. That, I'm not trying to take away blame. But there is a part of this that feels a little bit like the U.S. men's soccer situation. Gio Reyno not being a great teammate, according to what the team eventually said. Team had a heart-to-heart with him, said enough's enough. He got a little bit more playing time, but that's why he wasn't playing in the World Cup. Burhalter, the head coach, thinks he has an off-the-record moment, says some things without naming the player, by the way. Yep. Still off the record, doesn't mention the player. Uh, off the record. But everything he said off the record, which got published, jived with everything else that we had been learning. Gio's parents lose their mind. These are best friends, the Burhalters and the Reynas. Lose their mind and decide we're going to backdoor Burhalter here and bring up something from 30-some-odd years ago as basically a, screw you. You screwed our son. There's a feel of that, and I'm not saying there's a parent involvement here because I can't prove that. But there's a feel of, I wasn't happy, so I'm going to go get my revenge. I'm not saying that's right. And I'm not saying what Mark's doing is right. What I'm basically saying is, if that is the case, A, to your point, you're always looking over your back. And B, how do you, and this is why we wanted the administrators on, how do you balance the complaints slash misguidance of what the expectations are versus the complaint. You said it right there, the expectations, right? Yes. And by that I mean he has a and I'm and I'm nitpicking Mary Harden Baylor, and I don't want to do that, but you're having a roster of twenty five players. You only play nine in a basketball game if you're deep. Grinnell system only plays like 15, maybe 20, right? You still have an extra five more. Are we being transparent in the recruiting process to say, hey, we're going to have a roster of 20, right? And quite frankly, we're only going to play nine. 13 of you, 14, 15 of you, a whole other basketball team is not going to be playing. And I think, like, that's where this opens itself up, where you do get that one player that's jilted or whatnot. You're opening yourself up to complaints 
and drama that really you don't need to have as a college coach. You have enough stress going on. You're going to have to deal with playing time issues on a roster of 15. Do you really want another 10? And the players are never going to tell the coach. They're never going to tell the coach, hey, I don't like the way you coach. I don't like I'm intimidated by you. They're not going to say that. They're going to they're going to always go to playing time. And not to um, nitpick, but I went through rosters of Mary Hart and Baylor to kind of see if if there was, you know, um, a pattern of having a roster of twenty, and there has been. And he basically yet, admitted it. Yeah, and then he said that he only had three returners of a roster of twenty from the year prior. If I'm an administrator, and I've never been, nor do I want to be, because God bless all of them, um, but that raises a red flag to me. Why is there so much attrition in a program that is successful? Um, I just think when you have that roster, you're opening yourself up to a lot of drama that you really do not need to have. Well, and that's why I asked the question, like, are you are you carrying too big a roster? And what I didn't get to because his answer didn't really make it relevant. Sometimes that's also an administration who says we want enrollment, enrollment, enrollment. I remember vividly watching a school mm-hmm. have a soccer program who insisted on having 25 players listed, I think, max on his online roster. But he mm-hmm. had 40, and then he'd recruit another 20 every year. And so those 20 recruits show up to preseason practice. I'd be sitting there watching it, and all of a sudden there's 60 players on the field for a soccer team. First, not- if I'm one of those 20 recruits, I'm pissed. Yeah, totally. I don't know if I got the whole truth. No, I don't know all the all the dynamics of maybe they were told there were 60. I'd tell you this much. If I'm a soccer player and I find out there's – already 40 there, and I'm one of 20 recruits, I ain't showing up. There's no chance in hell I'm making a team, especially when there's no JV. But there was a push at that campus for enrollment. And we're I'm not, talking Again, about, but I can't and, tell and, if Mary Harden Baylor's got that. No, I personally, I don't get that vibe from Mary Harden Baylor. If we're talking about Casanova that just shut down. Oh, different story. Different story. Small private Division three that relies on tuition dollars. Absolutely. I know My Justin alma mater. Stone. I know there's teams that need to max out. That the numbers totally. are low on some on some teams. That would bring in another hundred students. And the way to get that is through athletics, straight yep. up. Mary Harden Baylor, but all my doesn't come across theories, that way. Yeah, it doesn't come across that way. Whatever. We're not talking about Casanova in New York or you know University of New England or Colby Sawyer in New Hampshire. William Peace small... women who just shut down their basketball exactly. program. Exactly. We're not talking yeah. about that. We're talking about. For the a season, I should say. That has a, a history of being athletically successful, men's basketball, women's basketball, football, in a in a state, Texas, that can pretty much recruit pretty well. Bef- before I let you go. Yeah. Because this is just the tip of the iceberg. We're, this conversation is going to be much bigger. We're going to have a better panel on it. Mm-hmm. I, one of the things I found interesting, because as you and I were working to try and, and build this to be more than just you and me, <laughs> <laughs> and, and hats off to Mike. He was he was really trying hard to, to kind of help with my vision um, of what I wanted we'll this to be. There. You and I um, will get there together. I went to both uh, coaches association websites to look at past conventions. And really, I just looked at the previous two because they were the easiest. 
And there is always something about development, leadership development, better understanding of your team, better understanding of, of whatever, uh, the, the nuances of a team and, and being a better at those nuances, being better at relations with your students, better at, it wasn't just the X's and O's. It's everything else. Vast majority, Mike, were other coaches giving examples of how it works for them. And I totally understand that. If I go to a technology or a television thing, I'm going to go listen to some of the experts that come from my field. However, in our conversations, I know there's third parties out there who come in with a different perspective. They may appreciate coaching because they need to, but they understand things from a different dynamic that's outside of coaching. How much? And, and I had an interesting conversation with somebody today who basically me asking who can I call said, you know what, that's something maybe we need to consider. Should this actually be more of a conversation, not from some coach who might think or some others say has a great perspective on things or should it come from um a third party individual who who knows these things six ways to sunday or does it need to be for, i'm sorry i'm trying to chase a name here apologize yeah. need to be someone who's worked in the business who like a lynn dunn on the women's side who is just known as that whisperer. Okay. She's a coach, but she's moved on to other things or it's that third party person who's got more experience from a different perspective. And it's not the everyday coach. Would that be more beneficial? My gut says yes, because I I think for exactly kind of some of those reasons that you said, coaching is so incestuous. We all steal from one another. We all steal the latest X's and O's. Right. Which is, by the way, a whole other topic about why yeah. we hide videos is just stupid. But go ahead. Yeah. yeah. We all steal uh, recruiting spiels, tactics. We all steal from one another. Right. And it's all kind of blended. And it will yeah. contend to be just one common thought. And, and, one common well, thing. Well, heck, there's not even stealing. People are showing yeah. off what they do. Exactly. And I think for me personally – um, my wife is, is a leader of, um, uh, she's a GM of a craft beer distributor, which is a great is she hiring. <laughs> hey, I got the good stuff. You just call and let me know. Um, uh, I, I'm looking for work. Yeah. Uh, but like, so the perspective that I get from her in a leadership role coming from her angle, being a female that runs a company that's a male dominated industry. Um, is very refreshing for me as a coach and has made me think several things that I did in the past, I would handle differently currently. And I think like having that perspective outside of somebody that's in the basketball think tank, but understands the game um, would be refreshing to a lot of coaches to understand how to, essentially run our own business. And I think right now some coaches run their business very well and some coaches don't run their business not so well. The trouble is, is every school has a different kind of environment to run their business in. Yeah, so that's true. But exactly every business like, is different too. Yeah. But they're a so, little bit more in line. That I agree with you. I, yeah. It's it's like every every school's like a pizza shop. We all make pizza, but the pizzas are going to be vastly different tasting, yeah. right? And yeah. so 
I think having that perspective, though, I've been in the NABC conventions for 20-plus years. It's all a coach talking to another coach about what they did and blah, blah, blah types of stuff. You're right. There's not a whole lot of training out there for college coaches how to evolve in today's social media transparency landscape that we have going on right now that can be and what we've seen over the last two weeks be so volatile in division three college athletics i don't think i've ever seen in my years four coaches get let go before the end of the season well and, for and to be honest well let's see from what i've heard there's one two yeah four right i thought there were more sorry centenary yep that's who i was thinking of so centenary mary harden baylor concordia chicago concordia. Benedictine, if you want to call it part of this cycle. Yeah. It kind of dated to the end of last season. Jody May still at his job in Albion, so that hasn't changed. But there's been – oh, there was a coach down at Warren Wilson. We don't know why. Yeah. He so, suddenly departed. That's – kudos to the administrate. I mean, these things are coming to light instantaneously, and administrations are making, in, are, are making decisions. They're not waiting to end a season – they're saying, nope, we got to make the change right now. Um, you know, you and I talked about this. If it is the – we talked about kind of training and things like that. Where is the administration saying, hey, we need to educate and have this be a teachable moment? That's where I would have loved to have kind of talked with administrators too, Dave, about that. Like, is this a teachable moment where we can help educate a coach – He's been a part of our community. Can we teach him uh, and and give him give him uh, you know a way to get better, just like how we do with our athletes, you know, and things like that? Or is this, you know, is this a is this a black and white type of issue? So, um, one other thing, and I'm paraphrasing from my friend who couldn't come on the show, and he couldn't come on for good reasons. I'll uh, listen. I knew that. When I talk, called him, there was no way we were going to get him on the air. But one of his other ideas is, you know, a lot of coaches say they have open-door policies. What good do they do nowadays? Because let's be honest, what student is getting off from his computer, and this isn't a knock on them, but it's a different world, getting off their computer, getting off their phone or whatever, and just walking into a coach's office. You can have an open-door policy, but it's just an open door. I mean, it's not like when I played in the 90s, heck, you know, I, I got to go talk to coach because I literally have nothing else going on. I want to talk to him. Whereas nowadays you got 100 distractions. Unless my coach is texting me, I'm probably not talking with him. Open door policies. They don't they, that's just coach speak. Um, to be honest, in this day and age, you're right. Like, yeah, my, my door was always open too. How many people did I see? My fellow coaches come by to say hello. My athletic trainer filled me in. Coach, uh, maybe a player, one or two. to, But, like, it would never was, like, this, this – uh, where we are as a society, it's almost like as a coach you have got to be more proactive. Um, and I'm going to – like, Coach Hickson at Amherst, and I thought this was a great analogy. He, he, said, he said, Reg, you've got to weed your garden every day. 
if you let the weeds get out of control, the garden's going to go go out of, uh, uh, go awry, and and you're never going to grow like any fruit or vegetables. You have to proactively weed your garden every day. And I thought that was so good because he recognized that those players were not going to walk through his door. He had to search them out, build relationships, see what was going on, peel back the onion so that it didn't evolve to a situation that was uncontrollable. And Um, it was the point of no return. Yeah, no, very good point. I think he's made that reference to me about something a number of years ago as well. And because uh, when you mentioned it, it sounded familiar. Uh, again, we could keep going and going, um, and and we should, you know, we should, but we can't. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll do more at a future date because I do want to make this kind of like the conversation we've had about minorities in coaching, mm-hmm. and minorities in Division Three in general. We we've made that an ongoing conversation. We should make this an ongoing conversation because I think there is a change and I think some coaches don't get it. And I think some coaches are making genuine efforts. I also think it's not that, it's not that simple. I think there's, there's an element of, of, of misunderstanding of expectations or misguided expectations and scenarios where because I was jaded or because I was screwed, in my mind, I was screwed over. I'm going to go burn the whole place down in the process and I'm taking extremes here. Um, and there's everything in between, and I think it's worth a, a further convo. And appreciate your time, sir. Uh, any final thoughts you want to share with everybody? And maybe who you're voting for number one before we get the uh, the big boys in here to find out who they're voting for. Yeah, well, let's see. Uh, the rookie here. Um, uh, no, first, of, you're not, not a rookie make, anymore. <laughs> I'm not a rookie anymore. But um, you know, not to make lighthearted the situation, but like seriously, I, I think the discussions need to keep happening. Right. And and just like with it takes a lot for all of us, whether it be us as a parent or businessman or woman or coach to look in the mirror and have an honest assessment of of each other. Fair of yourself. I think as coaches, we need to do a lot more of that and not think necessarily it's going to always be my way or the highway. Yes, I'm an expert. But I think we we have to look in the mirror more often than what what we're doing, um, and I and I look forward to having more discussions like this. And, and like I said, like I I'm in this just like you, to learn and get better from yeah. my perspective, um, and to help others hopefully get to where you know we can all get better together. I I think um, I think that's the biggest piece. Um, now to the top 25 with, with uh, the rookie here. Um, so, number one, nothing's changed. By the, by the way, there is no alpha in this group of top 25. Like, I really, I think one through 25, anybody can be beat any night. Like, I yeah. thought the other night, like St. Joseph's of Connecticut, I thought they, they had them on the rope. They were on the ropes by, I think, LaSalle. I think yeah. – Western Connecticut, I voted for them in the top 25 at 22. They almost got beat the other night by UMass Boston. Yep. My buddy Jay over there, I thought, is, is having a great turnaround year. I do think I might be starting and I, I might be looking at Middlebury to make the make it really deep. I really like them a lot. Um, but obviously that NESCAC's a grind. UAA? Pretty much is just uh, 
throw what sticks against the wall each week. Like I didn't have Wash U ranked last week, and this week I had him at 14. And pretty much Rochester is later on down the I, – I don't even – no, I didn't even vote for Rochester. I voted for Emory because Emory beat Rochester. So got, I'll let you guys have the fun with the top 25 talk. But, um, you know, basically I'm all over the map, and nobody takes it personally, I hope. <laughs> no, I hope not either. By the way, if we uh, are able, we'll hopefully get you in on uh, on Thursday's happy hour. We'll have some more fun. Oh, I'll be there. I'll be there. You just you just send the bat signal out. I'll be there. <laughs> Mike, I appreciate your insight, your time, and uh, your help on this. Um, and look forward to talking to you down the road, sir. All right. Be well, brother. You too. Mike Raniak joining us on the Hoopsville Hotline. By the way, I should point out, I forgot to mention this earlier. We did reach out to Mary Harden-Baylor. We offered to have someone, anybody they wanted to have on the show to answer questions from their perspective on how we got from A to Z um, and all the uh, small things in between. Uh, We even offered for a statement. We did not hear back from them. There was an issue with email earlier today, but I reached out via phone to say it was coming via a different avenue and we did not hear back. I'm not surprised by that, but just so you know, we did reach out to Mary Harden-Baylor. I will also add that we have heard from a handful of individuals associated with the program tonight. Some we were were hearing from prior and have continued on tonight and some others. I think think the Mary Harden-Baylor situation is very complicated. And as they say, the truth is somewhere in the middle. And I don't think we've found where the middle is just yet. Uh, We're going to take a break. When we come back, Ryan Scott and Bob Quillman join us. We'll go through the top 25, pivot real hard to that, and then uh, wrap up the show. You listen to Hoops Hope presented by D3Hoops.com for the WBCA and ABC Studios. More after this. Your teams, your players, your community of fans. This is where they play, where they practice, where you cheer. At every meet, every event, every game. Your community is passionate, dedicated, supportive. You know the tension of a close game and the thrill of the win. So while you're cheering, keep an eye out for anything out of the ordinary. If you see something suspicious, say something to local authorities. It starts right when you hit the court. You imagine your finest moment. The game-winning shot that gets you to the dance. A monster dunk or no-look pass. And cutting down the net. Sports lets us dream of our own success. And prepare us for our finest moments on and off the court. Got more schools than Division One, more fans than Division Two, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games, leading to two national championships, and we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. 
nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can. To get a friend home safe. To never blame the victim. It's on us. To stand up. To make our community safe for all. It's on us. It's on us to look out for each other at parties. It's on us. To be more than just a bystander. To step up and say something. It's on us, all of us. To, to stop, stop sexual assault. Learn how and take the pledge at itsonus.org. Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody, as we continue to roll along. If you got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville, hashtag Hoopsville. You can email us, hoopsville at D3Sports.com. Join us on our simulcast, facebook.com slash Hoopsville, or our YouTube, youtube.com slash D3Hoopsville. That's how you can get a hold of us. Uh, we're going to pivot here in a moment, talk top 25. But uh, I want to thank again Mike Raniak coming on the show uh, and talking about things from his perspective uh, as a former coach on the Mike uh, the Mark Moorefield situation. And thanks to all you who have reached out to me. This is not the end of the conversation. There's more regarding, obviously, other coaches, too. And we'll certainly have those conversations as the show continues. Um, in, in, really, we could have this conversation at any time. And so we'll do it when it's appropriate, um, et cetera, et cetera. So there you go. Uh, so let's talk top 25 and, and a little bit of fun because we, we have been working on this show just a wee bit. Um, we are going to... Where the heck is that coming from? Sorry, there's a graphic on the air that doesn't make any sense. Uh, we're going to pivot. Literally, I'm going to change camera shots. Hello, folks. Joining me on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsaw Hotline, it is Bob Quillman and Ryan Scott to talk things all top 25. We should point out the new men's top 25 is out, and, and the new women's top 25 is out. And guys, the uh, we'll get to that in a moment. But I wanted to at least start with a topic that's dominated today's show. It's you know, Morefield came on to talk about his side of things. Mike Raniak gave his perspective on things. I am I'm a bit curious. You guys have both tweeted or texted me on the side your thoughts on things. Um, Ryan, we'll start with you because you had a couple interesting tweets. Your thoughts on, on the dynamics and everything we've heard. I mean, I, I it's I'm glad Mark admitted that that was not the right way to do things. There's certainly not every coach who would feel that way. Um, you know, and from his perspective, he apologized the next day. He he tried to make it right with his team. And from there on, it's out of his hands, right? You know, <laughs> you, you can only apologize and you can only be forgiven, but that doesn't take away the consequences of your actions. Um, some schools would let him continue. They might fine him or suspend him. This school decided to part ways. And, and at that point, you know, it's it's out of the coach's hand. They've done the something wrong. They've apologized for it, and you just kind of have to live with where that goes. And seems like he's got the right attitude about the whole thing. And I hope he gets another shot and that he's learned from this. I will quickly say there's some information that I've been gathering um, that that makes me think that maybe this was a little bit more of an ongoing season conversation than than we're aware. But not much we can do about that. Um, but I admit, if, if his words are true, you're right. He 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 did at least apologize to the team. Ryan or uh, Bob, your thoughts on it? I think the tough thing is, I mean, I, I just don't have the the facts necessary to truly understand what happened. What I do know is that the, the what we saw in the video that that was that was rough. Like to me, that that style doesn't it doesn't work anymore. 
I love what 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 Mike said uh, about reading the room, reading today's room, right? Like that was really rough to see. What I don't know is like if 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 someone could could put like the three most respected players on that team on Hoopsville, would they like run through a brick wall for him and say? This was an isolated thing. He was awesome. He changed my life. I love him. That would make me think differently about this whole thing. But but I don't have that information. So all I have is is the video and uh, the the Twitter stuff. I, I do think the concerning part for me is some people took time on uh, on Twitter to write out some pretty detailed things about the culture that was there. And in the absence of the other side, that's kind of what you're stuck with. So I, I just leave it as... Um, uh, I, I think the, the one thing that bothered me is uh, I, I think he totally understands what he did. Yeah. But for me, he took a little bit too much time pinning this on one or two people that didn't get playing time. Their careers didn't go the way they wanted. That rubbed me the wrong way. I thought he, I thought it made it seem like he really didn't understand what he did. And it was like, there's these people out to get me. They didn't get playing time. They're Fair. mad. So that rubbed me the wrong way, and that's just kind of how I felt about it, I guess. Yeah, fair assessment. Absolutely. Um, well, guys, appreciate it. Uh, and you can read their thoughts on Twitter uh, if, if they're sharing. Uh, Ryan, you've had some good thoughts. I appreciate those as well. Let's pivot to the top 25, and, and let's start with the big one because on the men's side, uh, the gap between first pl- and second place got real tight. Um there's 15 first place votes going to St. Joe's. There's 10 now going to Randolph Macon, and they're just what six points separated. Meaning, if St. Joe's wasn't number one, they're not necessarily number two on a lot of those ballots. Whereas I would say um, people probably have Randolph Macon right around one or two, if not three, on on most of their ballots. Ryan, uh, curious, who are you voting for? I mean, I I published it so you could see it. I switched my vote. Um, from St. Joe's to Randolph-Macon. Um, although, I, so I got to go up to Vermont this weekend and I saw two games in Middlebury. And I've been high on Middlebury the whole time. <laughs> I had them very high in my preseason mm-hmm. poll. I've been giving them the benefit of the doubt when other people have talked about their schedule. Even I was blown away by seeing these guys in person. I mean, this team is 10 deep. And and beyond that, there's only one senior and two juniors in that ten man rotation. Like yeah. that, they've got a really yeah. solid foundation there. Obviously, one of them is Alex Sobel, who might be the best player in the country. Um, but man, this kid McCursey, who's a freshman, who's going to be getting his minutes next year, was one of the more impressive guys I saw all weekend. And he's only getting you know 12 minutes a game or something like that. They they're big. Um, the offense is where they're going to be a little shaky. Don't know if they can hit shots on a consistent basis, but like I almost moved them ahead of St. Joe's too. You know, it's just the fact St. Wow. Joe's, I don't want to penalize them for the conference they're in. And that, that is where I'm at. I feel like Macon has earned their way into that first spot. Not that St. Joe's has lost. Sure. It. And, and I didn't want to penalize St. Joe's just because they haven't had super stiff competition in the last couple of weeks, right? They earned that with their non-conference schedule. They did everything they could possibly do. And I didn't want to bump Middlebury ahead of them just because they're in a weak conference. Um, But I do think Macon with what they've been putting together in what might be, what might be the best conference in the country this year um, has really gotten them, them that far. And I know Bob had different feelings, so you can take it away. 
Well, no, I, <laughs> well, I, I'm on St. Joe. I, I, I'm, I've been on them for, I guess, for a month and a half now, ever since my failed experiments that started the season didn't work <laughs> for me. I can't remember the exact order. Something like Mary Harden, Baylor, Mount Union, Lacrosse. And there was someone else in there, I think, that didn't work out either. But um, the, the bottom line is, is, to me, my top five or six or seven, I could go about that deep. I mean, I could pull them out of a hat at this point. I love Middlebury. Now that, now that I've watched them several times, ever since um, that, that Keene State game and, and moving forward, like, I think they're awesome. I think St. Joe is awesome. I think Randolph-Macon is. Um, I, I like both Mount Union and John Carroll a ton. And uh, it, even a team like Wheaton from the CCIW, they don't look to me like a national championship team that I'm used to in my head. Could Wheaton win the national championship? Absolutely. Absolutely they could. Could uh, Let's just pull out a, a UAA team. Could Wash U win the national championship? Absolutely. So to me, who I'm voting number one, uh, I'm just trying my best to pick from a group of very even, very good teams. No one looks like the Stevens Point teams from the 2000s that won back-to-back. No one looks like that. But there's a whole bunch of great teams out there, and St. Joseph and Randolph-Macon are one and two for me in that order. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Sorry, I'm playing with audio, and clearly it's not working, so I'm going to go back to just doing it the way we had been doing it and fix my audio so everybody doesn't wonder why I have a lip lip, lip think if you. Um, I actually went back to Randolph-Macon. Um, they had moved up to number two on my latest ballots, and then this week I moved them up. And it's not a knock on St. Joseph. They had a tough game against LaSalle, and, and I've always said I don't expect anybody necessarily to go undefeated, but St. Joe's is at a point in their schedule where even if their conference is maybe more difficult than a lot of people give them credit, Randolph-Macon's doing what they did again last year, which is rolling through the ODAC. Yes, they have some tough games, and, the, and they've got some challenges, but they continue to win when, like, Guilford loses to Hampton Sydney, and so I, in my mind, I'm like, you know, right now I think Randolph Macon's just playing better than St. Joe's, um, and so I moved them. And that doesn't mean I can't switch it next week <laughs> and change my mind altogether. Um, there's still some real big battles in the ODAC to come. Um, but I and I also and I've got the same conversation. I did not think about moving Middlebury ahead of St. Joe's, <laughs> um, but I've got Middlebury third. Uh, in mind. So let's move on. Um, I appreciate that. Good insight. Um, good convo. Let's talk about uh, we, we got, you know, our usual suspects. We have the debatable team, which is a team that is one that these guys thinks getting top 25 attention, but should they be higher or should they be lower? It's more of a catch-all. It's a wild card, as, you, as it were. There's uh, our dubious. That's a team that these guys think is getting way too much love, way too much attention, shouldn't be getting any or is just too much. Um, for example, let's say a team is five and they think they should be 25. Uh, and then you have a deep dive, a team that is either getting absolutely no votes or is getting uh, just a handful of votes, maybe even not by ourselves, but we feel should probably be a little bit higher or in the conversation more. And it's a chance for us to shine some light on them, whether they're in the top 25 or not. So with all that in mind, let's talk debatable. Uh, on side note, Bob took an interesting tack with his three choices. You'll find out here in a bit, but we'll start with debatable. Um, Bob, go ahead. What is your debatable team 
for uh, this week. First, a disclaimer that what what I agree with that Dave has done. He's created a Google Sheet for all of us that come on this segment. And we can't <laughs> use the same team twice. So he has columns that say debatable, deep dive, dubious. And then he's got the date of the show. He's got like, uh, you know, poppers and uh, and Ryan and blah, blah, blah. So like I had to scour the grid because there's some teams that I wanted <laughs> to, to go after here. But um, I'm trying to stay within the rules because I like the rules. It gets us talking about more teams. My debatable. Right. We might have to stray a bit, but for no, now we're works. trying to talk totally about works. as many my teams as possible. My debatable. I'm going to go to the intersection of Foster and Kedzie in my homeland of Chicago, the North Side. I'm from South Sider, but this is a school on the North Side, and that's North Park from the very fine College Conference of Illinois and Wisconsin. North Park is receiving votes, uh, 50 poll points this week. And, uh, and and I think that that it should be higher. I, I I think North Park is is a top twenty-five team. Let me let me make my case here. Sixteen and four, nine and two. North Park is tied for first place in one of the best leagues in the country as we speak. They just beat Wheaton. They have a season split with uh, Wheaton, who's ranked what currently number eight. Um, they beat Wheaton sixty-six sixty-three this past week. Um, North Park, you have to watch to really understand what they have going on. Here's a few things that I'll highlight. They are as as athletic as most Division I teams. I mean, that that is not an overstatement. They are crazy athletic. And they turned Wheaton over 25 times. 25. Uh, Wheaton came into that game averaging like 11 turnovers a game. They harass you up and down the floor. And they use that athleticism on both sides of the court. Um, on the season, North Park opponents have 285 assists to 405 turnovers. They they completely harass you when you're on offense. That That is an assist-to-turnover ratio for opponents of .703. They average 20 opponent turnovers a game. Uh, the last thing I'll say in North Park, they're very, very balanced. They returned some really good players, and they added a bunch of transfers. And Coach Smith has made it all come together, which is hard to do. But they have size. Jordan Boyd is is a 6'7", kind of a 4'5 guy. His brother, Jalen, is a 6'5 wing player. Now they've got a bunch of guards that are fantastic. So Colden Van Landingham who averages 17 and five Marquise Marquise Jackson, who averages 13, five and three and Shamar Pumphrey, who averages 12, four and five. So they have size, they have guard play and they can shoot the heck out of it. So between Boyd and Van Landingham and Pumphrey, they can shoot the heck out of the three. Um, They have a few losses. They have a couple losses that they lost to St. Mary's at home. They lost to Carthage at home. That was when Carthage was playing great. That probably, took people like me that were voting for them and put us kind of on a little pause. But I think where North Park is right now, I think they're a top 25 team. Um, Quick note, um, North Park is located a quick 11-minute drive, three miles from a club that my parents belong to where I grew up there. So why I've been ignoring North Park for this long, the Saddle and Cycle Club should have been my reminder. You're referring to like but I digress. I'm voting for him this week. I, I had said on Twitter that I was waiting for a signature win. And nothing against their win over Illinois Wesley. It didn't feel that way. Uh, Wheaton's a signature win, sir. So I did definitely... I, I made sure 
that they got on my ballot so this you did week vote because for they had been just knocking for a while. Okay. Ryan, how about you? Are you? I think I saw your ballot. I believe the Vikings I, are not only on it, but they're way up there. Yeah, I moved them. I mean, what is honestly probably too high. Um, and I got called out for that today. I think I had them at 11. Um, but part of that is I started looking at the teams that I have sort of 11 through 17. And I think the number one feature of that is that we can't trust those teams to perform at that level every game. Right. And we have seen North Park beat Wheaton and play a fantastic game. And maybe they've had a few stumbles, but the teams around there are in much the same boat, right? That we know yeah. that this team is at 15 or it's at 17 and, and that's kind of a, an appropriate level for them, but you can't trust them. You know, maybe three out of four games they're there, but that fourth one, you're not sure. And and I think North Park's got as much of an argument to be in that sort of 10 to 20 range as the other teams that are there. I think the, um, the, Just because the it took them a little longer to get that signature win, I don't think that that should be a penalty. It's probably a plus that, that they're playing right. in this form right now as opposed to, you know, November. That's true. And the struggle, I think, no, that's for true. people... With North Park early, and this to me, this is this gets to like Mike Showers' comment about if they had Illinois Wesleyan on their chest. I look, I I haven't asked Mike about that comment. I think what he meant is, look, North Park has struggled for several years in a row, and coming into this year, all people could bank on was was the guys they knew from last year. When you have nine transfers, yeah. they have nine transfers. I believe that's I keep hearing Mike Showers say they have nine transfers. So uh, if that number's wrong, check me on it. But I don't think anyone in the preseason on Hoopsville or or a voter, I don't think we had any way to vote for the nine transfers. You, right? We heck, we weren't vote for. I wasn't vote, vote for John Carroll, right? Same so, here. Yeah, for the same I, reason. I think as soon as North Park started playing games and looking good, I mean, I was I was voting for him, but I I, I think what Mike Shower meant by that is that if you took a team that had a good season last year, and then that team started playing well again. You'd be on them in a heart. Like if Marietta came into this year and was just rolling, you'd be like, oh, they're great again. But um, I think it's okay that it took people a while to figure this out because they weren't that good the last few years. That's, I guess, we did it with Elmhurst, right? Elmhurst started out and we said, well, they lost a lot of guys. Are they really this good? And they started out good. And we said, all right, Right. I guess they're good. You know, it's not that they aren't good. Right. Absolutely. but they're not what we thought they were at the beginning of the season just because of that play. And I think it works the same way the other way, right? If if William, if Colby had done this year what Williams is doing right now, we would be rating them about where we're rating Colby because they have a very similar looking resume. <laughs> you know, like um, it's just because they're Williams and we saw how good they were last year and they brought all these guys back. You know, we've got them where they are. And, yeah, so and it's not yeah. wrong necessarily. It's just, but, it, it, um, right. I think, I think people needed to see the construction of the team and how good these transfers right. are. And, and most importantly, how much Sean Smith has, has meshed this. Cause that's hard to do. It's hard to take transfers yeah. with, with returners and make it look like they are just a, a cohesive team that they are. So kudos to Sean Smith. And, but I think North park is really good and tell you what I, I wouldn't want to be on the other side of a, a bracket game with them in the tournament because they just they make it hard. They I'm, make it hard to run your offense. I'm curious, Bob, not to yeah. do cross promotion. Have you done your QCast interview with Sean already? Is that finished? Clearly, there was a screen a- grab. A- a- actually, I'm doing it uh, tomorrow. Well, okay. I'm talking- well, because oh, I have the question that I, I'm sure it's on your list, but like he 
looking at his resume when he was hired, he was the point guard and like a three-year captain on a on a team when he was in college that went from like three wins to 30 or something like right. that. Like just the natural leadership yeah. that comes from a guy, you know, making somebody a captain as a sophomore, that kind of leadership is is there's some intangibles there. And I'm there's just curious his thoughts about his yeah. own abilities. I will ask you get him a that. chance to talk to him about it's that. Fantastic. Like there's something there. And look, when he was hired, that wasn't a no-brainer hire that everyone looked at to say, Oh, I, I saw that one coming. When he right. was hired, I think a lot of people said, Huh, I didn't expect that. But it like yeah, he has agreed. he has crushed it. So just keep an eye out for North Park, those of you that are listening, voters that aren't voting for North Park. Hey, I get it. Look, there's there's some losses in there where maybe you say I'm waiting for another couple games, but um they're they're really good. To your point, and not to belabor it, but I say this all the time. People ask me, hey, well, are you excited about recruits? Are you excited about who I don't pay attention to recruiting. I don't pay attention to who signs with what teams because until they're on the floor and until we can see how they can, they gel with a program, that's why I wasn't on John Carroll at the start of the year. I want to see how do they come together as a unit because uh, Johns Hopkins women won the national championship with eight D1 recruits. That was wonderful. But that could have just been a disaster too if you got the wrong egos in there and they don't gel. And now I'm voting for them top 25 for no reason. So to your point, Give us time to at least see how that develops, and, and it obviously has developed well. And Pat, by the way, points out on Twitter that 12 of the 25 voters are now voting the, for North The Park other just quick, on their quick thing, Dave, about the CCIW going in is uh, when I was doing my top 25 ballot in the preseason, I reached out to six CCIW head coaches because my intent, and I mentioned this to you guys, I was going to vote for the CCIW favorite on my ballot, but I couldn't figure out who that was. Yeah. So I asked coaches, yeah. hey, so-and-so, um, who, who do you think the number one team is? You know what they all said? I have no freaking clue. So you know what they did? They voted for the team that won it last year. They voted for Illinois Wesleyan because Illinois Wesleyan lost a crap load, but they had a lot of guys back that you know played a little bit last year and some other promising guys. That was as good a case as Wheaton, banking on Wheaton, having these stud transfers they do and having other guys step up and Elmhurst lost a bunch. North Park has nine transfers. Everyone just rolled the dice and voted for Illinois Wesleyan. And then like we did in the poll, when Illinois Wesleyan started playing bad, we we moved away from them. We haven't voted for Illinois Wesleyan in weeks. So like, yep. the CCIW preseason poll is what it is. Uh, it was because we had yep. no idea who was who was the favorite. It's turned out the favorite is Wheaton and North Park. But it took us till January to completely figure that out. Um, by the way, Ryan, you had a debatable. I do have one. <laughs> Who is it? Um, I think that Hamden Sydney, currently 18 in our new poll, should be much higher than they are. Um, I just feel like this team is is really, really good. Um and maybe not quite getting enough credit. Maybe that's a, you know, they're they're blooming late. They had a slow start. They're maybe the third best team in their conference, which hurts a little bit, but we're talking about a team that is now 16 and four. Three of those losses came before Thanksgiving. Two of those losses were to Randolph Macon. Um, one of them by only two points. You know, they they beat Christopher Newport by 15 on the road. They beat Barry by 19. Um, just this last week, they they beat Guilford and they went to Roanoke and won there. Um they got size. Um they're they're pretty deep. I mean, this is a this is a really strong squad, and you know we 
I, I'm just not sure what everyone is waiting on. Totally with you. I've got Hampton, Sydney, much higher than the poll does. I have them nine. And I mean, to me, if they're, first of all, their resume, they would be a first weekend host right now. If we were making a bracket, they would be hosting. They'd be in the top 16 if, uh, if Dave was, was hosting the show today. And, and so I don't also know what, I, I don't know what people are waiting for either. They, what they want at Roanoke, Roanoke's really good, especially at home. They beat Guilford. Guilford's awesome. You mentioned not to go back to the resume, but I'm with you, uh, Ryan, that uh, I think they're fantastic. And could they win a national championship? Absolutely. That's probably my theme for the show. Could Hampton Sydney win it? Yes, they could. <laughs> yeah. Um, I put Hampton Sydney into my poll this week. Um, for me, it was every time I went to pull a trigger or something, a result or something happened that made me want to take pause. I'm also very conscious of the fact that Caleb Kimbrough's in his second season, and while he's doing wonderfully, it's not still all his guys. So he's still trying to get everyone to buy into his ideas while still trying to recruit and bring everybody in. And we all know those first few years can be an absolute roller coaster. You can get a huge couple of wins and then have the the uh, the the wheels come right off the thing and go through two weeks of absolute hell. So I've just been – I wanted to wait to, to see. And the Guilford, again, same as North Park. Guilford to me was like, oh, my Lord. They beat Guilford. Guilford's a pretty darn good team. Now they're at second place for sure in that conference. And then they went and beat Roanoke on top of that. So it wasn't just a, a high and a low. It, it was an absolute consistency across the board. So I, I bought in and I jumped them pretty high. I put them right in the middle of my ballot. Um so, again, it's kind of like North Park. I wanted to see how it's all playing out, but for different reasons, for different reasons. Um, but that ODAC is, I knew it was going to be really good. I knew it was going to be darn good. It's better than I thought it was going to be. And and, and it's because teams like Hampton Sydney have stepped up. Been really impressed. Been really impressed. Uh, let's go uh, deep dive on this one. Um, let's switch it up and go that way. Ryan, we'll start with you. We'll let you get the first word on uh, it. I, I won't take total credit. Somebody mentioned this on Twitter this week. Um, was a reminder to me of a team that I really liked in November. Uh, kind of fell off a little bit, but now leading the the Mayak, that's Carlton. Um, 16 and 3, 11 and 3 in conference. I think they're not, I, I'm not voting for them yet. That's that's sort of my rule, is they're not getting any votes currently. Um, but right, right on the edge there, and I think part of that is is one of this this Mayak schedule that you get very few non-conference games by which to prove yourselves, and their conference is just not up to the point that wins in conference are like signature wins. Um, but the 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 games that they did have, they went out to Colorado Springs in November. They beat Whitworth when Whitworth was playing absolutely at their peak, really at the beginning of the season. Um, and and by a lot and looked really good in that tournament out there. And then of course they start conference season. They lose to St. Mary's early on. They lost one to St. Olaf, who by the way, they're avenging right now. They're up uh almost 20 points on on St. Olaf right now as we speak. Um and and I think this is just a really strong solid team. Right. I'm not sure. I obviously didn't vote for them this week, so I don't think they're one of the top 25 teams, but they're one that's definitely getting overlooked. Um and, and they're playing great basketball up in Minnesota. Yeah, I think how often has it been that the the winner of the the Mayak has been a, a a team we weren't voting for? I think I had a lot of double negatives in there, so I'm not sure what I just said. What I mean <laughs> is the team that wins the Mayak is usually in the top 25. They are a full two games up 
in in the lost column. Uh, I like their win over St. Mary's because that's a team, um, obviously, that was playing very, very well at, at the point of that game. Um, St. Olaf looks like a big win today in progress. I'm not sure if that's gone final, but that looks like a, let's see, is that game still happening? Uh, yeah, Which it's one? final, 73-56. Yeah, it just finished. Just ended. Um so yeah, I, I think they're right there. I think it's an awesome deep dive team because looking at this thing on paper, it seems like um, they're just a week or two away from getting a whole bunch of votes if they keep this rolling. Um, I looked at them mainly because I was looking for a guest on Hoopsville, uh, not necessarily for today, but in the very near future. And I went and jumped into the MIAC to double check, make sure I understood how things were going. And to be honest, I was a little surprised they were on num- number one. I I had checked in previously, thought I had seen something else, got confused by the women, and lost track a little bit with some of the chaos going on <laughs> around here. Really impressed. Really darn impressed. I'm not voting for them yet. Um, I, I'm realizing the Mayakis, and I think what we thought it was this season. So I want to see a little bit more of them before I dive in. But really impressed. Pretty pretty good team. Um Bob, deep dive. I am going to go to Southern California. I'm staying in the others receiving votes category for my three. This is the theme. That's the theme for my three segments today. It's <laughs> others receiving votes. Deep dive. I, I this wouldn't even it shouldn't even count for a deep dive, but but I get to because they're uh, they're down the list. Pomona Pitzer. Now, remember back to the preseason poll when all of us collectively had the Sage Chen's number 12. 12. And uh, we thought great things about them. They were the, the Skyak favorite. Well, they came out of the gates and uh, hit, hit, hit some rough waters, we could say, right? So let's just uh, pull up the old Pomona Pitzer team page. Vanguard, I think that's NAI, right? Are they NAI or Division Two? Mary Harden Baylor on November 11th, they lost by 13. We all remember that. And then a couple other non-D3 games. They uh, beat Bethesda, but they lose to Masters. Now, I know Masters is a power NAI team. Not sure if they're NAI or Division II anymore. Not a D3. And then then here's the one that kind of was like the, all right, I just need to give up on them for a while. Puget Sound. They lost to Puget Sound by two. But, gentlemen, let me tell you this. Since the Puget Sound loss, starting on November 30th, they have won 11 of 12 games. The only loss is to Redlands, who's a contender in the league. That stretch includes a win at UAA favorite, WashU, and they look great. To me, if we could just erase for a second in our heads whatever the heck was going on in November... And we just look at the team that's right now. We just look at them right now. I voted for them this week. I believe they're the team that we thought they would be when we voted in October. And uh, and, and I think that Pomona Pitzer, that to me, they seem like they're the favorite now in the Sky Act. Uh, they look to me to be the favorite for the Pool A bid. CMS is still right there, and Redlands is right there. But uh, I, I like Pomona, Pomona Pitzer quite a bit. Yeah, they lost four of their first six. Have won one of, or have lost only one of their last twelve. Um, I'm not voting for them yet, 
but they're in that group of I got to find a hole and I can't find a hole just yet. Uh, the win over CMS was impressive. At their place too, at um, CMS, right? It was at their place uh, in overtime. At, at their um, place, and from your own well, place. I'm trying to find yeah. a hole. Now, you, I knew that Ryan was going to get me on that, right? It's, <laughs> it, but it's true. It was on the road, right? Like it's technically a road game, Ryan. Literally sure, across, across the, the road. Come yes, on now. It was across Come the street. Uh, if someone else was on the show, I don't think they would have got that. But I got a, I got one of the OGs with me. Sniff that out. <laughs> Yeah, and, uh, I, and I watched street. every minute of that game too. So I watched that entire yes, I one. I know he did. Um, yeah. uh, so when I do my ballot, I try to go. I go conference by conference, and I try to kind of rank the teams in the conference, figure out which ones are in contention for top twenty-five, figure out what the order is, and then see how they slot in nationally. And this one was a really tough one between between CMS and and Pomona Pitzer because I think. You know, CMS has, I think, slightly a better resume, but obviously they just had that head-to-head loss. And and what did it for me, right. honestly, was that Redlands, that was not a close game, the loss to Redlands that they just had. And that was at home, which is actually home. That's right. that's a good hour and a half drive from Redlands, you know, given traffic or whatnot. Um, you know, and that gave me a little bit of pause. They They don't have a super signature win on there. And it feels like as the season has gone along, some of these Region 10 games that we really liked, the Texas-California crossovers, maybe are not as big as we thought they were in November. And I'm still trying to gauge, you know, how valuable those wins are. We obviously have great teams out there, but, um, you know, is it is it a, a sense of teams that are all kind of like 20 to 40 beating up on each other? Or are, are we really seeing some top 15 teams f- facing off? And I, I don't quite know yet, and I wasn't really ready to – to pull that trigger, but I've got them right in that in that mix for sure. Yeah, so I'm I'm in the exact same boat. Yep, um, and it's again, it's all right. You know, the same proverbial question: Who am I taking out to put in? And that becomes a very complicated conversation. Um, I hate to beat the parody um, drum too much, but there are a lot of good teams. There are and a lot of this guy, I think a, a thing that we should keep an eye on is with Eric Bridgeland now at Redlands, we're pretty sure that he's going to build a good program because he's done it everywhere else. It, it's made the Skyak a lot better because if you if you say Pomona's always good, CMS is always good, uh, you got Chapman yeah. in there, whoever else, Calu that, that gets in there. If you add Redlands as a consistent sure. contender, I think we look at the Skyak differently than we have for the last decade or so. Last decade or so, there's always a team or two. But boy, if there's going to be like three top 25 candidates in the league moving forward, that's a real good league. I'll I'll add on with a twist. I think, Eric, I think, yes, we expect that he'll build a pretty good team at Redlands, but I'm almost curious if it's not as successful as we think it will be. And as a result of that, like it's it's not going to happen as fast. It might happen next year. And because of that, be it'll show you just how good the Skyak really oh, is. Oh, that's true too. Like, it, well, does that make it, sense? It, yeah, he could be great and, and not win it. You're you're right. But I do think if you, if you right. look at what he has this year, when he gets his two hurt guys back this season, and then another recruit, I I bet next year we're voting for them most of the year. Would be my guess. We'll see. Well, and. And Eric we'll mentioned the wave that he's jumped on, right? Is they had some changes in what the conference allowed in terms of recruiting in recent years. Yeah. 
which has helped them get local guys in that they weren't able to get before. Right. Um, and, and that's across the conference as a whole. And that's what you have seen is the whole of that conference sure. has increased. Um, and, and I think that's going to continue to happen. And Eric, you know, Eric's mentioned that's one of the reasons he went to Redlands is because that opportunity became available. Yeah. And I, you know, there's great yeah. coaches all across that whole conference that are going to take advantage of, of what the conference is allowing them to do now. No and question. so it's not just because he's there. Um, Cause Redlands has been good in the past, but yeah. I think, you know, it's yeah. one element of, of the many coaches that are, are improving their programs yeah. out in, in Southern California. Fair point. All right, let's shift over to dubious. I can jump in with a dubious. Um, I'm, Go for I'm gonna it. Stay in the other others receiving votes. Remember that is my theme for the night. And as a unapologetic Wyack lover that gets criticized for too much Wyack love, uh, I'm guessing I've never had a Wyack as my dubious, and this is the, the the great opportunity for it. So let's go to a team I was voting number one earlier this year. <laughs> I think it's the first time someone's ever had someone number one and then dubious within 60 days, but someone could check the records. Lacrosse, University of Wisconsin Lacrosse. Um, they're still getting votes. So I guess what I'm dubious on is that they're still getting votes. That's how I'm going to play this. Remember, guys, there's a spreadsheet. I can't pick teams that have already been picked this season. So it's getting a little thin. But here's my issue with lacrosse. They're 15-5 and five overall. They're 6-3 and three in the league. They're a full two games back of Oshkosh. Here's my my dead serious concern with, with lacrosse. So they've lost uh, three home games in the month of January. Platteville, Oshkosh, and Whitewater. Now, look, when you say in your head, okay, <laughs> Platteville, Oshkosh, and Whitewater, I understand that those schools have, have banners hanging up places. But... Um, Look, a top 25 team, does a top 25 team lose three home games like that? I don't think so. Then, later on December, they lost at home to Trine and St. Mary's. Now you're saying to yourself, okay, Trine's a top 25 team. They're good. And St. Mary's had good wins like North Park. I get it. But, again, home losses, Platteville, Oshkosh, Whitewater, Trine, and St. Mary's, does a top 25 team lose all of those games at home? So I'm not sure what the case is right now for lacrosse. And uh, therefore, they are my dubious. Ryan, do you have any thoughts on this? Are you dubious well, on lacrosse or am I the only one? I didn't vote for them. And honestly, so like I said, I go down. The WIAC is near the bottom of the list of conferences. I opened it up. I clicked on Oshkosh. They're clearly the favorite. I'm going to fit them in somewhere, probably near the bottom of the top 25 just given the resume and their inconsistency this year. And I click on lacrosse because they're probably the second team. And I look at it and go, that's not a resume I can even consider. You know, they, it's not that they're bad. We know they're really talented and I'm sure they're getting votes because there are people voting who know who, which players are on this team more intimately than I do know their capabilities, know that they're perfectly capable of beating some of the very best teams in the country, like they've shown. But I look at this and I go, you know, this is the team that lost close games to Trine, St. Mary's, and Platteville. And I would say they need to be ranked about where those teams are, which is not quite in the top 25. You know, the other thing, Ryan, that I would add is sometimes what happens is that early in the season, a team wins certain games that at the time mean a ton to us. And when they beat St. John's and Marietta in particular, and like we were 
those seemed like huge wins. Well, look where St. John's is in the Mayak standings. And look where Marietta is in the OAC. Those those wins don't have quite the the shine that they did before. The Guilford win is still great in all of our books, obviously. Yeah. But sometimes you have to go back and you have to say, I thought this in November, is that still the case? And, you know, look, uh, hey, lacrosse might win the WIAC tournament and win the national championship. Again, that's my theme for today. Everyone can win the championship. And, and then they can uh, replay my dubious segment back. But for now, I just don't see a top 25 case. Agree. It's according to Pat, five voters are voting for him, and they're getting 31 points. That average amount that those five voters are putting him about 20th. So that either means those five voters all are have him around 20, because it's actually 6.2 points, or some have them even higher than that, and some have them lower. So that's an must interesting be Poppers. You know, Poppers goes with this eye test. He must have seen them, and they look good two times, and he's voting them two or something. <laughs> Listen, I thought they were good. I've had them in my top 25 for a good chunk of the season, but I haven't for the last couple of weeks. I just – yeah, I, I can't. Uh, wait, there was something about their resume that I'll have to find it. Maybe we can move on to the other to one. I was glad to slide in that again. Poppers jab, by the way. I was pretty happy about that. Yeah, I know. It was well done. Thank you. Um, we'll get you a piece of bacon for that, sir. <laughs> Probably the um, best, probably the funniest moment I've ever seen. I've, I've watched it like 30 times. <laughs> I can't remember. Did a coach come on the show? Or I think someone just texted me. They said, listen, we, I was listening to the show on the way, you know, on the bus. Here it is. I was listening to the show on the on the bus, and that was said. I was crying, laughing in the bus. It was because it's, it's a, some people were wondering what was it's going a on. It's just so, he's so casual. He just looks away and he says, who doesn't like bacon? Like he's dead serious. And then, and then you see poppers over oh, well, well uh, uh, you did miss the... Just when Poppers thought that in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, he doesn't. Well, <laughs> you did miss the question that I was very curious, and I, I wonder if all of America's if Poppers has ever tried bacon. That's, but yeah, I don't that's know if true. that's something oh. he wants to admit publicly or not. So we'll go. No, he probably doesn't. <laughs> no, he probably doesn't. Yeah, you know, so, some questions By the way, um, are, are better left unasked. Like Right. Right. We yes. have poppers yes. on and Friday maybe, nights uh, watching hoops games on stream and eating bacon. That is not happening. Then we think they're going to poppers, and I'm not going there. I'm not willing to think that. <laughs> he is he is dying right now, his poppers. Um, by the way, lacrosse has lost three of their last seven. That's the note I, I, I picked up on, and then, and that's just that's tough. I know kind of <laughs> actually poppers. <laughs> um, poppers has tweeted something. <laughs> Uh, oh, he has lacrosse 24th. Okay, he okay. at least he doesn't have two. Okay. There you go. Um, all right. Uh, dubious. Who's, I think Ryan's There's up. one missing. Me. Was, Ryan's dubious, yes. So uh, I've, I'm voting for both of these teams that I'm going to mention. So I'm, I'm I'm part of this problem. We are getting down, as, as Bob mentioned. There's yourself. only 37 teams already. getting votes right now. I did so this, it's this hard to this be, a great move. It's hard to be dubious, right? Yeah. That um, Fair. We're, we're in this spot. Um, I'm bringing up both Emory and Wash U. Um, yeah, you like to do this dual yeah, thing. He does. I, this. I feel like they're very tied together because Wash U is getting a lot of credit for beating Emory this weekend. Like that's one True. of their big wins. And and if they're both a little inflated, that changes a lot, right? And so, yeah, um, again, I'm not saying that these are not good teams, but I think, especially as we're on screen with a William skeptic right now, we'll call him skeptic and not hater, right? That um, skeptic. I think the people voting for Williams are voting largely because they see the talent on that team. And I think right now the people voting for Emory and WashU are maybe doing it a little more because of the talent they see than the resume that's out there. 
Um, none of the losses for either of these teams is bad, but they're they're not great for for a really good team, especially a leader of the UAA team. And and you know you look at Emory's schedule, their signature wins, the home overtime win over Case, and that that home win over Rochester, who was missing their best player. Those are still their two signature wins on the year, which are not bad. But when we're talking about where they are in the top 25, I'm just a little dubious still. Um, and when you look at Wash U, I mean, without this weekend, they don't have a top 25 resume, right? They had to go to Rochester and go yeah. to Emory, which are two great wins, and I give them credit for, and it's why I am voting for them. But we're looking at just those two, really. They've played a good schedule, but not a super great one. And and their losses, again, have not been bad, but they're still not games you really want to lose. And so right. I, I'm I'm just, I don't want us to get overexcited, right? I if I was it, coming yeah. into the season, I would have said maybe Rochester and Case is the top two, Emory and Washu as the second two in that league. And I think it might still be that just because the, the standings are flopped right now. We want to maybe just take a breath. I'm, I'm with you. And I had... We're literally pivoting into the second yeah. half right, of that right, conference right. schedule. So. And I had Emory, I, th- I think that I had Emory as my dubious on here a couple shows ago. And my point at the time was, and they've, and they've played well since then, but at the yeah. time my point was, what is their what is their signature win? And we went through some of the home losses they had. Um, I think it was Guilford and Barry. So it was interesting. When I was doing my ballot this week, I had watched the Emory-WashU game, and I thought, well, that was such a close game. If I'm voting for WashU here... I have to vote for Emory, but my 25 spot came down to Barry and Emory and Barry wanted Emory. I was like, how could I justify putting Emory in and Barry up? Barry won at Emory and Barry didn't have their point guard. So um, I'm with you, Ryan, that Emory is not a lock. Again, they they could win the national championship for all I know, but they're not a lock. I will say this about Wash U. Um, very talented. And this kid, the, the, the freshman, Grudzinski, he's starting to figure it out. He's a 6'7 kid. Uh, when they got him as a recruit, it was a huge deal. He made four threes in the final five minutes that were big-time shots. They have size. They have guard play. I think Wash U, the way I look at this, is the most complete team in the UAA. But... Uh, Look, that said, maybe they'll lose their next two. I don't well, know. But and, they're pretty good. And we know they're super talented, and they have one of the best coaches in the division. They're in a good league. They've, they've won this weekend. We can say, oh, they figured it out. But at the same time, you can say, and this is true for both Emory and WashU, that they're really young still. And, and you know, with young teams, they can look really good and they can look really bad. And and I just don't want to jump the gun because they had a great weekend. Yeah, the, the flip side of some of these, like the UAA, I believe it's, I believe it deserves to be called the best league this year. Now, I flew up to Bloomington, Illinois, and watched my struggling Titans lose on a buzzer beater to Wash U. Illinois Wesleyan beat Chicago in overtime, and Chicago just lost by one point to Rochester. And Chicago, had they made two free throws with no time on the clock, would have beaten Emory. So I guess my point being... Is the UAA great because there's a bunch of national championship contenders? 
or is the UAA great because all eight teams are in the Massey top 100? I think it's the latter. You have a bunch of very good teams, and the top one or two are national championship contenders, but I think we can't confuse the two. I, none yeah. of these teams in the UAA is like, holy crap, they're, they're, gonna, they're better than everybody. Right. They're just really good across the board. And, and I think in both cases, they're going to be better next year. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I ended up moving Emory and um, and Rochester way down on my ballot. And I debated about putting WashU in because of the results. Though I got a kick out of the fact that WashU beat both of those. And both of those went to Chicago or went to overtime against Chicago. It's like they both had the same resume this weekend. <laughs> both Emory uh, and, and Rochester had the same resume against WashU and Chicago. I decided to pause because Washington's been in and out of my top 25 because we're at the turnaround. All right, let's see what next weekend brings. And then I can make a more, I think, educated decision on what's really going on. Here's um, the only issue with that, but though, I dropped- is that, I mean, to me, you got to give Washington credit because they won at Rochester and at Emory, and they... To, to right. Me, they, so, but that's my point: is if they lose at home, then you're waiting for. Uh, I, I just think that I think they should be the highest rated UAA team as we speak, based on. At, at a certain point, I shift over into like the conference, and I look at conference games. Yeah, but that's and I'm not so much worried about November. And to me, Washu right now, they seem like they have the best case in the top twenty-five of the UAA teams. That's just my opinion. I and, mean, it doesn't. Yeah, and and I would say the only question is how how much recovery we think Algier is going to get. He's clearly not playing 100% right now. Do we think he's going to be there by the end of the season or not? Or I would agree. If we don't think he's going to be there, I think Washu's number one in the conference right now. And if we do think he is, I think Rochester gets back there. Well, so. Washu, they didn't just win the game at Rochester. It wasn't very close. Yeah, like they spanked Rochester. No, two is a very technical term right there. Spanked. They spanked Rochester, and we have to look at that. I mean, I I don't. I have a hard. I would have. I didn't do this. I would have a hard time putting Rochester ahead of Wash U when they just played on Rochester's floor, and it was it was clear, right? It was a clear outcome. Now it, I would say the bottom five of my top twenty-five and the next group of fifteen are all in the same group, and and I could. I could spend hours changing that five out and putting a different five in. And it came down to going, all right, listen, I, I, I just got to make this decision next week. I, I, I see watch you there. I, I want to put them in my top 25. If I pull them out, then I got to pull two out. Okay. That means I got to bring another one back in from that group. Okay. Who am I pulling? And it started to just unravel on me because it's just going to get a death more spiral of, and more convoluted. Yeah, you know, like this week, my example was, I've been voting for trying consistently for like four weeks. And this week, just out of the blue, they did nothing wrong to me. And I yanked trying out because I needed to do some other stuff. And I thought about it. I was like, how do I like, how do I justify this? But it is what it is, right? Some teams make a case like wash you. I didn't have them in and they clearly made a case to me. So someone had to come out and I apologize to everyone in Angola, Indiana. It it just is what it is. It's not you. It's me. Well, that's and that's why I try to start no. fresh every week, because if I just look at my ballot from last week and what happened this week, that it makes it hard to take into account, like you said, some of those early season games that maybe don't mean as much as they did before. Right. And so looking at it fresh, you, at least for me, it's, it's eliminates some of that bias 
um, that I had last week or the week before and, and helps me look at it new. And that's, that's why I did actually I, I put Emory and Wash U in there, I wanted so. I tried that a couple of weeks. I wanted to hurt you. <laughs> uh, I literally did. I tried that, I think, the up until January. Every week, I just started fresh, didn't look at anything I'd done the previous week, tried to go in with a mind blank, and I wanted to hurt you so badly. <laughs> well, I did it with both polls this week. Just, it took me like two hours to get everything oh, done. Oh, man. Voting in both would be oh. hard. <laughs> Voting in the... I would love to vote in the women's poll um, because I think it's a fascinating too, poll to vote in. It's very different. Capacity to pull it off. Uh, There's just no way. But right, I don't know. If, <laughs> I think Gordon's doing me a favor uh, yeah. by asking me not to be there. Uh, guys, really appreciate it. Great insight as always. Always a longer conversation than I expect, but it's always good stuff, and that's what I appreciate. You guys coming on and and providing that. And by the way, Pat Coleman on the side, tweeting out information based on the conversations we had. Even better. Um, Appreciate you guys coming on. I, again, I was going to skip this because we had such a loaded show, and, and it ended up not being as as uh, loaded as I expected it to be. And I'm like, I'll just talk about this Thursday. And then I'm sitting in the middle of the, F of the weekend going, this is crazy. <laughs> Before we let you go, Ryan, I want your take a little bit more on that trip to Middlebury. You, you got to see, one, maybe a better tough squad than everybody realizes. Oh, did um, you see my little comment that I – Yes, I did. I'm voting in both I polls, did. and I'm the only person voting for Tufts in both of them. So, um, <laughs> uh, I, I, that Tufts team is. But no, just quick. The Tufts team is really good. The Tuff. other thing is that Bates team yeah. that I got to see on Friday night, they're not losing anybody for next year. And that is a really athletic squad up there at Bates. And uh, the NASCAC, I think, is just going to be super loaded next year. There's very few teams that are graduating that many guys. And. <laughs> It's a mess this year, and in a good the way, other everyone's one, beating everybody. I got to give the shout-out on the way back home. I stopped off in Jersey City and saw the women's game between NJCU and Christopher Newport. Got to see it in person. Damaris Rodriguez from NJCU is everything that Ira Thor tells us she is. <laughs> um, one of the best ball handlers. Where, where does Ira send you the check? I think check? that there are half the men's teams in this country who would kill to have her starting at point guard. Um, just an incredible ball handler, but also the the coaching job that Pat Devaney did there against a Christopher Newport team that's just overpowering. He made adjustments at halftime. They won the third quarter. Um, you know, he, he's worked miracles in there. That Christopher Newport team is huge and fast and deep and really, really good. And he, you know, I mean, it wasn't a whole game. They ended up losing by 18. They got gassed at the end, but like, I mean, I was just so impressed with Pat and what he's put together there. That was a team that was just, I mean, what do they have, three wins when he started coaching there and and really put a strong strong squad together. I know we're talking about men tonight, but um, no, that no. was overwhelming. And I, I pumped Middlebury up at the beginning, but I really do think the size, um, you know, like I said, the offense is where they're going to have to do a little bit of work, but like, I don't see a team even like Randolph-Macon that can stick with that size. We talk about how big and strong Josh Talbert is, but he's tiny compared to the guards they got at Middlebury. Um, you know, and and Sobel obviously is really, really good, and they run so much offense through him when he's not on the floor. They're really going to have to do some work on, on making sure they can get their offense to run when he's not out there. But, um, you know, I, I was so impressed. I love going to Vermont. I grew up there as, as a kid. I have family there. That's why I make that trip now and again. Um, but they're always fun to talk to everybody up there. They had a huge crowd too, even with hockey going on down the hall, they packed that place out both games. So I was really impressed. 
Very cool. It's on my bucket list for sure. Hey, Bob, any final thoughts before we let you go? Basically, just two things. Remember, everyone can win the national championship. Uh, and, and and I don't think Poppers is watching video streams on Friday night and eating bacon. Uh, so not, apologies. We're no. just giving him a hard time if his yeah. rabbi is listening. He did confirm he's never tried okay. bacon. Yeah. No, it's uh, appreciate it, Dave. And I thought you did a great job uh, on the, uh, the interview earlier. Kind of a tough deal to have to navigate through. I thought that was great. Appreciate you doing that. And at least we have another side to that whole story now. So uh, we're, we're in a great place in the season. And uh, let's roll. Four weeks, guys. Yeah. Yeah. Four weeks. Will you see you guys Thursday? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Can you actually drink on the happy hour, or is that just a figurative yes, you can. term? It's not, it's not broadcast television. No. Yeah, because like I'm still in dry January, and it's January 30th, and when you do that show on Thursday, it will not be January anymore, correct? That's yeah, correct. So I may have a bunch of shots or something on this Hoopsville happy hour. There you go, hour. sir. Welcome yeah. aboard. We'll love still. to have you. All right, guys, thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate thanks, it. Guys. Thank you. Bob Cohen, Ryan Scott join us on the blue on the Huddle Hoopsville hotline. I gotta get all the graphics changed, but thanks to our friends there. Thanks to our friends there for joining us. I'm just gonna wrap things up here at this point, not even take a break because uh well we can't. Um because we gotta get off the air. But I want to thank everybody coming on the air. Mark Moorfield, appreciate him taking the time to join us. It's gonna spark conversation for sure. I think there's a lot of people who have different uh, thoughts on what he had to say. And um, to that, I'm kind of with Bob. I I have a lot of information, but I don't think it's made me have the sense of any clear uh, scenario there. Um, And to Ryan's point, I think he tweeted out earlier, um, I understand those who say he should have gotten another opportunity. I can understand those who feel he should have been fired. And to those who uh, reach out and talk to us uh, about their thoughts, appreciate it. Though we also know those are off the record and we won't share them. But appreciate their perspectives nonetheless. Uh, thanks to Mike Raniak for joining us as well um, for his perspective on things. This is a, a conversation I want to take deeper. I tried to do it tonight. We couldn't do it. Couldn't pull it off. We will try and go deeper into this con- overarching conversation about coaches and trying to make coaches um, not make coaches, that's a bad way of saying it, but help coaches become better coaches uh, and navigate an ever-changing world. I don't think it's something that many people talk about. And it, the understanding of how much things change uh, in coaching and in, in all that stuff. So um, nonetheless, appreciate them. And then thanks to Ryan and Scott. Or Ryan and Scott, jeez. Ryan Scott and Bob Quillman for coming on the show as well to help us out tonight uh reminder sun uh will be on the air for the marathon starting at noon eastern time on thursday happy hour will start about eight o'clock we're still booking our guests we got about two-thirds of them done we're going to spend a bulk of tomorrow finalizing those plans looking forward to having everybody on the show Noah during that top 25 tried a new camera angle didn't seem to work out like we thought especially with audio issues we apologize for that we'll try and get to the bottom of that so you can at least see what we have now dressed up an even bigger part of the wall here on the studio and uh showing off more of the uh jerseys we got to figure out a better way to get those shown off so we'll get to the bottom of that in the meantime thanks for tuning in if you listen to the podcast make sure you review and give us a like uh at the same time if you're watching us on demand thanks for doing that as well Uh, i want to thank our partners at the women's basketball coaches association national basketball coaches association as well um national basketball 
NABC, National Association of Basketball Coaches. Sorry, I'm brain dead. Um, for their support, actually been talking to both sides quite a bit recently, trying to book some interesting segments down the road. Also, thanks D3Hoops.com, Pat Coleman, Gordon Mann, Ryan Scott, uh, everybody uh, at D3Hoops for their support. Thanks to guys like Bob Quillman and Poppers and others who helped join on the show and, and make it fun as well. And thanks to all you for listening in. You've been listening to Hoops Hold. Presented by D3Hoops.com from the WBCA NABC Studios. Big thank you to um, Blue Frame Technology, which is now Huddle Blue Frame Tech, for their support of our programming and our work as well. And with that, we'll sign off. We'll be back on Thursday for the, uh, I think it's the ninth annual marathon, starting at noon Eastern. You've been listening to Hoops Hold presented by all of our friends. And if you want to talk Division Three basketball, you've got to listen to Hoops